Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. I got to tell you, I'm an adaptable guy. I feel good in a uh, multitude of situations. I'm diverse. I like uh, diversity of experiences in life. But I got to say, I've deviated from my roots recently, guys. I have been uh, too much on the Michigan boat. I've done too many Michigan shows recently. I, I feel lost. I feel lost in the woods. But, um, you know, or at least I have. But I, I'm back on track. We're back in the Michigan State basket. Thank God. No offense, Michigan fans. But this is more my lane. I feel more comfortable in my lane. We'll get to that in a second with a distinguished guest covering those topics. But first, we have a new sponsor to thank tonight. This is a very exciting sponsor to add to the Spiro Avenue Network Rolodex. Good friends of mine. Serve you electric. Why are they good friends? Well, they've done good electrical work for me. I always say I'm not going to get on here and pimp some company that I don't actually use or wouldn't use. Superior Home Lending, one of our favorites, right? They just did my home refi. Serve You Electric just did electric work for us. They did a fantastic job. Uh, Great guys over there. Uh, You could argue the best electricians in Southeastern Michigan right now. They were actually out here yesterday and today working on the studio. Great guys. ServeYouElectric.com, 586-219-6443. Uh, owner Chris Nelson, he's a great guy. I had a, a great time dealing with him. I'm going to pimp him up a little bit more because I'm trying to get that final invoice down a little bit. It was affordable to begin with, but I'm hoping Chris gives me a little bit of a break. And uh, Ashley over there, the office manager, is fantastic. They did a great job for us. And I uh, recommend you check him out again, serveyouelectric.com. Check them out. They're awesome. Highly recommend them. All right. So, you know, I, I told you I, I've been lost. It, it's been a tough time for me. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about Michigan athletics. I kind of watch from afar. Uh, contrary to many myths, not all Michigan State fans are, are sitting, watching, and, and focusing every minute of their time on Michigan. Um, I pay attention to the big stuff with them, but I'm over Spartan guy. We all know that. Back in the lane here. Um, you know, tomorrow we have Justin Tind and, and David Klein. I'm excited for that one. Both guys, as wonderful as they are, though, have been here before. They've done the show. David Klein's done the show a few times. Uh, tonight's guest, a little bit different. This was a courtship. This was a Shakespearean uh, pursuit that, that uh, had all the elements, the tragic elements, the comedic elements in some cases. Uh, I've done a lot to get him here. I was dropping little rose petals outside of his car for the last three years. Uh, it got to the point where I was holding a boom box like uh, – it was a John Cusack, like playing Peter Gabriel over his head. Uh, it's, been a, it's been tough, but finally he's here. I'm happy to have him. Chris Solari, Detroit Free Press. Good to have you. Finally, Chris. I'm just glad you weren't holding Yorick's head because that would have been a little bit, <laughs> little bit awkward for me there. I don't want to make you feel awkward, but, you know, and now you were one of the ones because we've had a lot that, that have said no to me for a long time. It, most stories, you're actually more of the rule than the exception. There's a lot of, of no's before you get to the yes. But you were always nice about it, though. Well, it. yeah, it's, it, the, the complexity of it is, as, as you know, having young children, which makes it, one, hard to get away yep. ever, uh, let alone out of town. Um, so coming down from the Lansing area sometimes can be a little dicey. So, of course, I pick a wonderful night where it's 60 degrees in December and it's about to get windy as all hell. So, you know, I'm sure the drive back is going to be really interesting when I'm, I'm hitting the floor and going about 
55 in a, in a 75 yeah. zone. Yeah, I hope because you got I can't go any faster. We'll throw some bricks in that trunk to weigh it down. I don't know. Thank you for attributing your your nose to distance and children and that and not our mutual context that may not be my biggest fans, but uh, I appreciate the the politeness. So look, I mean today. Signing day, obviously, that's the big thing. I promise, like, I, I do want to get to that. But to me, um, I, I want to get to the Kenneth Walker thing so I cannot talk about it again for a very long time. It's not on my agenda really tomorrow, except maybe in passing if it comes up organically. I, I thought you were one of the few out there. Most people out there felt that Kenneth Walker deserved to be in New York. That was the majority opinion. Even most Michigan fans I know felt like that. That was. 95% of the takes out. You went the extra step. You wrote an article arguing that he should win it. Now, my position has been he should have been second. But your article got me thinking, Chris. I'm not going to lie. I, it got me thinking. I pulled a quote from it that I thought was interesting. So we'll start there. This is the Chris Salari uh, article on Kenneth Walker. We'll quote it for the, the audio listeners here. Quote, the body of work was clear. The numbers spoke to it. Walker produced in an era when offenses have abandoned the run game in favor of pass-first schemes, and he did so behind an offensive line with two or three fringe NFL prospects, none of whom will likely be on teams' draft boards. It was clear to anyone who watched Walker this season, no one in the country was better. So, look, you've, you've covered this team all year long. You were, like I said, one of the only ones, if not the only one I found. Maybe there's someone else out there. The only one I saw in the mainstream that said he should have won it. Obviously, you get Michigan State fans, but reporters, you were the only one I saw. Tell me how you landed there. Can you expand a little bit about why you feel he deserved it when most people, even the ones that were defending him, said second, third, or fourth, maybe? Well, and that's, I think, the biggest thing you have to take a look at it, it, for individual awards in a team game like football in particular is how do, how do these guys respond? And what are the people and pieces around them? And I don't think there's any question that, you know, what Jaden Reed did, what Peyton Thorne did, and what Jalen Naylor did when healthy really enhanced what Walker did. But though they're not throwing for those yards, and they're not getting that without eight or nine guys in the box, and sometimes 10. You know, Nebraska sold all out for the, the run. Um, and, and I thought that the way that Walker did it, you know, it wasn't just like this guy was breaking off 70-yard runs all the time. He did a lot of those, but there were a lot of yards between the tackles. And I kind of focused in on this one, on the last touchdown in the Michigan game, because if you go back and look at the block that that Kevin Jarvis, and I think it was our Curry, delivered on that right side for him, the hole was about this big. And you, first of all, have to have the speed to hit it because it's going to close quick which he's shown all year. You have to be able to get low. You know, I mean, when you see those drills in camp where they've got the tents and the guys are getting low, that's what that's for. I mean, that was textbook. What, what you're taught in August, he's putting it on the biggest stage of the year for them. And then the acceleration through, the, the juking, everything was there in that one run. And we saw it in the, the, the touchdown run at Rutgers, which the hole was huge in that one, but he did a lot of that after the fact. But he did so many things between the tackles. I mean, he turned those those five yard gains into ten yards. You know, everything a thousand, what eleven hundred, almost twelve hundred yards after contact. That's unheard of. I mean, that's I mean that tells you a little bit about where the offensive line was as well. And that's no knock on the players that 
I, I had, uh, I think I had, uh, uh, let's see. I had CJ Stroud second. I had to think about that for a minute because it's been a minute since I voted. I had Stroud second and Bryce Young third, um, which maybe I would have flipped. Um, you know, I, I could make a case for that, but I thought there was better management of the talent that he had with Stroud because he had a lot of receivers to throw to. And yeah, you can sit there and objectively say, well, he's got three potential first round receivers. You got to one, keep them happy. You got to spread the ball around all these things. Still got a bunch of NFL guys on your offensive line. You've got a future NFL running back in Travian Henderson. A lot of things going for, for Stroud. Same with at Alabama. And I think you could say the same thing on the defensive side with all the guys that are there. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, for as good as he was, had Ojabo playing opposite him. And a couple guys in the middle and the bat behind him that are going to be NFL players. Same goes for Will Anderson. Same goes for Davis. All these guys have a collection of NFL talent. Kenneth Walker did a lot of this stuff all on his own. And ultimately, what does it come down to? I mean, what do you vote on for the Heisman? How do you vote an individual player when the sum of the parts are so big for some of those teams? What's the sum of the parts for Michigan State with Kenneth Walker? Kenneth Walker. I mean, this is a team that couldn't find the end zone for, I, I did the math on this. It was somewhere around like 11 and a half game between the seven games in 2020 and in half the season in 2019. Uh, some of that's on the running back. Some of that, a lot of that's on the offensive line. You, you saw what one player can do to a team, not just to elevate all the, all the things that you've seen with the accolades from Mel Tucker and, you know, all the awards that he received, but to lift them to a 10 and two record. Uh, they were two and five a year ago. I understand Michigan was, was down too, but again, you, you got to put up points and there's a lot, a lot could be said for, for Michigan's record with what they did with Quorum and, and McCarthy and, and McNamara and blending those guys and, and getting the Haskins, it, you know, there's a lot of blending of talent because they had a collection of talent. I guess they had Kenneth Walker and, it's not to besmirch those guys, and it's definitely not to besmirch the offensive linemen because I do think that they made some strides. But they're they're maybe a five and seven, seven and five team at best without Kenneth Walker. So, and you look at like I mean, you you touched on some of the context, and look, most people, some guy voting in Colorado is not going to have the proper context of oh, Michigan State had zero rushing touchdowns from their running backs the year right. before. They lack that theoretically. I get why that shouldn't matter. Like, why are you factoring in something from the year before? But you really probably should because there hasn't been a massive change in personnel to that offensive right. line. Like, it's he basically it's all had, the same guys. It's all right. It's, all, it's what it's was the, the difference? Same, the same unit, <laughs> the same quarterback, albeit with you know strides having been taken. You know, since he took over the reins from Lombardi. But it's just you have to put it in proper context. And I never thought I'd see a running back legitimately this valuable again. Like in D1 yeah. football or the NFL. It's like that's a major part of, of, of my vote as well. Right. Because everything, I mean, how many times did, did Dave Warner and then Brad Salem all they all tried to go pass first out of a run heavy system? And there were, I mean, that to be able to do it takes a special kind of talent. What, how did they do it? You know, they, well, they didn't. They went back to more of a, I mean, they spread the ball around a little bit, but they were balanced this year. And they were, the only reason they were balanced is because they were able to get the run game. Pass game doesn't do what, you know, Thorne and, and Naylor and Reed don't have the kind of years they have if you don't have a run game. We've, how many times have we heard that over the last couple of years? And, and, you know, I've gotten 
a lot of emails on on either side of it. You know, you're only voting from you're a homer. But I I was surprised the amount of people who did think that yeah, Walker really kind of got the screw job a little bit on this. And it's just it's it, a lot of times it's just the nature of the voting, the hype that comes along at the end of the year. It did not help. Uh, and I, I said that in the story too. It, it did not help him that he got six, I think six carries, seven touches in the Ohio State game. Book ended by 30 carry games. You know, I mean, Mel Tucker should have been a little bit maybe more forthright about saying this guy's pretty banged up. He, I, I get when you have your program and you, you have your ethos and you don't want to say that. But when a guy's on the cusp of that, you got to let people know that a little bit more. But, you know, they came back the next week and against Penn State. I, which again, how many people watched that game? People were still buzzing about the Michigan Ohio State game. Kenneth Walker's out there completely altering his style of running and picking up 140 yards in the snow, and he's never played in the snow before. And he can't even cut in one direction. Yeah. That was what Justin Tin was talking about. He's like, he can't even make his normal cut. Like, yeah. That was just sheer force of will, and he's running in two feet of snow. And that was such a big answer. And it's like, and you mentioned it in the article too. I mentioned it when I did a show on it after it came out that he was sixth. At, like he didn't play poorly in the Ohio State game. He, you know, six carries, yeah. uh, twenty-five yards, like four point two yards a carry, which at small sample size, but not like he was getting blown up. He got hurt. They were getting boat race. He left. It wasn't like he played poorly. I argued, I'm fine if you say he lost the trophy. He should not have lost New York. And I, yeah. and I think there's an argument that he still should have won the trophy. I do not think you can go from the literal betting favorite, which he was. And some books had him a co-favorite with uh, Bryce Young, but he was the favorite with DraftKings, the app I used that, mo- that morning. And then four hours later in a game that you're hurt, and it would make no sense to be out there when you're losing by 100 points at halftime. Suddenly you're the sixth guy because they didn't punish him for the Penn State performance. He played really well there. So based on one game where he played well and got hurt in a blowout and then left, he went from first to sixth. Yeah, you, can't, it, you can't justify that. Well, I, I do think that, that some of it, it when, when people talk about hype, you know, and that's not necessarily saying pushing Aiden Hutchinson, although there was a narrative to push a defensive player uh, in the last month. What, starting in what? After the Michigan game, uh, the, the narrative was the Heisman that nobody wants to win. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I get it. I mean, yeah, you, you can throw the Ohio State game. But, you know, it's funny is that that first half of the Ohio State game, I think he had five carries for 25 yards. He was running at five yards a pop. Yep. And I think they targeted him once in the past game. I think he had one catch. They, that's where I think they maybe, if they were going to use him, they should have used him a little more in the past game there because I think he could have done some damage. And, but, again, you're down three touchdowns after the first quarter. Knowing that you want to get a ten win season, knowing you were, you're trying to play for a New Year's Six Bowl, it's forty nine nothing at halftime. What do you do? I mean, I defended. Play, I, you could play for the individual awards, yeah. but you also down the stretch. Now, where this could potentially be a bigger thing is helping them if Walker decides to sit out the bowl game. Now you got a little more reps for some of those guys. You got Elijah Collins, a little more lathered up to, to kind of go and, and get back into a mix, um, but it's still, I mean, that ultimately that's what the voters look at. And and a lot of those voters will, I mean, they're not, it's, it's the nature of the, the, the vote. You, you can't sit and watch, you know, what hundred and, you know, there's 130 FBS teams. So basically what 85, you know, or 
65 games a week or something like that. You can't watch all 65 unless you're the CFP committee and you've got an entire fall to book out for that. But a lot of people look at box scores still, and it's not, it's not an ideal way to do it um, because you can look at some of those. You, you can look at those numbers and say Walker was bad, but then you look at the fact that he only got the ball five times in the first half and still was running at a five-yard pop. I don't know. You know, yeah. sometimes players get, you know, I don't want to say that the coaches, I, that was a, a, a tough situation based on what happened with that secondary, the injury factors and everything else. I mean, there was, it wasn't, it wasn't a good spot. It they were going in there spot. with yeah. like a very bad hand. I, I, I thought yeah. they had almost no shot to win. I didn't think it looked that bad, but that was a bad spot. It's, it's, the whole thing was a bummer. And, you know, you mentioned getting some comments, which, have, you know, of course you, you would, because that's what happens. Oh, you're a homer. And Michigan State fans, oh, get over it. And, you know, oh, it's, it's Sparty glasses. Look, I, I've been accused of being too negative to Michigan State. People were you too, huh? <laughs> all the time. Are you kidding me? Half our fan base, our the Michigan State fan base, is not like me because you know I am not always nice about everything ever. And some people they have to be fed what they want. You know, more of the affirmation versus information. I'm just honest. If Michigan State's doing great stuff, obviously I'm biased. Of course, I'm. You know, look, look around you, right. but. I'm not going to just blow smoke up everyone's ass. I owe it to the right. people watching to be honest. And look, objectively, I think it's bullshit. And I'm not that guy, but I stand, I stand with that guy on this one. And I look at the objective measure. So take Chris Solari's Sparty glasses out of it, which I don't buy. But what people right. think, my uh, Sparty glasses, whatever people think, what's an objective measure? Walter Camp Award. So we'll bring that up. Just look historically. This isn't. Justin Spiro, Sparty Whining, or Chris Solari, who's a homer Michigan State writer. This is an objective metric here. So in the history of the Walter Camp Award, 1967, it's been awarded 55 times. We did, this was a painstaking research. I, I think it was the first one to put out about the Tough finals. Tough to find some of those. But I, it's, it was some digging. But in the 55-year history of the award, the people that won the Walter Camp Trophy have done really well. In the Heisman vote, 71% of Walter Camp winners won it outright. 22% finished second in the Heisman voting. The remaining uh, six before we get to the last one, third place, 6%. So you look right off the top, 98%, 54 of the 55 finished either first, second, or third. 93% either won it or were runner-up. I think it was 51 or 54. Kenneth Walker. Finishes sixth. This isn't, oh my God, he finished fourth. That's never happened. Oh my God, he finished fifth. That's never happened before. He finished sixth. I, this is so far off the deep end. It, it, look, would I be upset if he finished third? Oh shit, he's in the 6%. That kind of sucks. Yeah, I'd be upset. I'd be irritated. I think he at worst should have been second. If he was fourth and was the first one through that wall, I'd kind of bullshit, but whatever. Sixth? I'm sorry. Am I out of line here? Like, I'm not normally an award guy, but like, this is this is BS, right? I mean, come on. I mean, again, you're finishing second right now in the country, and the first in, among Power Five running backs in terms of rushing yards and yeah. yards per game. Um, you're you're right there with rushing touchdowns. You, you've done a lot of the things that aren't happening in football. Yes. You know, I mean, should should Shohei Otani have won the MVP? Did he have the, the pitching numbers that warranted it? Maybe not. Did he have the hitting numbers that warranted it? Maybe not. 
But when you put it all together in the context of what the game is in the sport, we haven't seen anything like that. We haven't seen anything like this from from a running back in quite some time, probably since what Mark Ingram. Well, but even I mean, with it, even it, with Ingram and Derrick Henry, multiple first rounders on those offensive right. lines, and they had a second rounder, multiple guys playing in the NFL that were drafted in the top twenty, twenty five. Absolutely, that's not going to happen here, and that's what you pointed out in your article. So it's like. Oh, you know, he's he compares favorably to Mark Ingram. That's not even the compliment. He's better than what Mark Ingram did. And and that's not a besmirchment of Mark Ingram. But I'm sorry. Mark Ingram's supporting cast is a lot better. Mark Ingram was playing from up 14-0 in the first quarter 100 times, getting the ball seven times in a row. It's it with better guys blocking in front of him. It's not the same. What Walker did, look, if you want to argue he couldn't win it, whatever, I'm fine. I said he should have been second. Sixth. It's unacceptable. I don't think we're crazy. I really don't. Yeah, you could make the argument that, you know, for guys like Henry and, and guys like Ingram at that point, you know, they maybe weren't playing even full games. You know, what would they have done if they had played a full game like a lot of the games that Walker did? Because there were, I mean, there weren't, I mean, as much as it was, they weren't blowouts in, in many of those games. They had the, what, the Miami game that they basically put it on them in the second half. Um, Northwestern wasn't a terrible blowout. The Michigan game was really close and really good. I mean, that's another thing. I never even put that in there. Five touchdowns against that Michigan defense is nothing to sneeze at. Just to be fair, nothing to sneeze at with five touchdowns against Ohio State's defense like Sound Haskins did either. You know, but again, when you have multiple threats, when you've got Quorum as the speed guy, and you know, Kenneth Walker was both. He had to be both. They hadn't. They didn't have that other option there. They didn't have a a, a speed back. To, to give him a break. I mean, yeah, I, there were times where people would be like, oh, he, he's, what's he, is he hurt? Is he hurt? And it was just, no, they're giving Jordan Simmons a series. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. like he's not a robot, you know, as you can, you can run what 25 times a game, but you're still getting hit. You're still getting hit hard. And particularly when you are the singular focus of a defense, I mean, everybody knew every defensive and, and the thing about the Walter Camp Award that's voted on by coaches and athletes and sports information directors. Most of the coaches watch more film than anybody. And, and a lot of times they're cross scouting. So they'll see some of these things. And, and you know how coaches are. They'll stop a tape and they'll be like, what, what's, what did I just see? Walker's that kind of guy. I mean, if, the, if those coaches saw that and noticed that and enough of them around the country realized how tough it is to run the ball anymore, how tough it is to find a durable running back. And how tough it is to find a running back who can blend speed, vision, and power. Um, Nadell's just something. Yeah, and the amount of drives he saved, where if you look at the stats, if you lose yardage on first down, it, like you go three and out at something like 87% of the time. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, you know, don't quote me on the exact number. Like it's drive killers. If, if you're second and 12, you're, you're behind the eight ball. The amount of times on first down, he'd be caught behind the line, negative three, negative four yards, and he'll just escape to get back to the line for one yard or two yards. That was constant. No one even talks about that, but the, those are winning plays yeah. too. I mean, the, the Walter Camp, I, I could argue, is actually the better award for the reason you outlined. Like just the, the judges are more credible inherently. I, I guess well, that, you go back into the history of the Heisman. I mean, remember, this is what, maybe the last 20 years that we've had as much access to games being on yeah. television as we have. So, I mean, a lot of this, you see how these things were voted on word of mouth, stats, reading box scores, talking to sports information directors. So there was probably a little bit more of, I don't want to say informed votes, but when you're hearing it from the sports information directors, that gives you a little bit of a pipeline to the coach. Or if another coach is telling you that, you have a little more direct. I don't think we have the same kind of 
relationships and access with, with them. I mean, they have other responsibilities now. They're producing their own TV shows. They're doing all these other things. So, so kind of just sitting for an hour and, and, and shooting the shit about, you know, who's looking good. Who'd you guys see that looks great? I mean, yeah. you don't see that as often uh, either with coaches or with, with, with sports information people or, or some of the other athletic administrators. So, you know, that, that's some of it. And, and some of it is that all these games are on TV at which you might, it, it, Graham Couch wrote it about it and it, it's a, a, a good salient point that guys like me and guys like Michael Cohn, who covers uh, Michigan for us or, uh, you know, whoever, I mean, a lot of us, a lot of our time is centrally fixated on the team that we cover because that's just what we do. That doesn't make us a homer. That's literally our job yep. to try and sit and sift through it as much. So, you know, you have minimal hours in the day to kind of play catch up on a lot of things. BTN in 60 is great to be able to do that. You're able to kind of fast forward a little bit, kind of skip through some things, but you're not sitting and watching a whole game. So you miss some things. And, you know, that's. That's kind of the nature of that. That's part of the reason why I, I voted in the, the AP poll for one year. And what swayed me to completely say I'm not doing it next year was the Arizona State game in 2018 when I'm wrapping up my stories and sending my final files somewhere around 6 a.m. Eastern time, you know, trying to catch a nap before my flight back from the 108 degree in Tempe. And realize, oh man, I got to do my vote, and you're trying to play catch up at <laughs> yeah. six in the morning on your body clock, and I'm like, this isn't this isn't a tenable situation. It it, it can work for some people. It can work for some people who don't have kids, yeah. who are gonna wake you up in the morning at seven when usually you know it, previous life pre kids you're you're awake at three in the afternoon and spending the night watching all your sports. Right, so right. change that you know that as well as anybody that kind of changes your your viewing habits and time to be able to view. Things. Oh yeah. I mean, we have, um, you know, my friend Stuart, I've been on his show a couple of times, but he asked me before the uh, big 10 football season, Hey, I'm doing a big, uh, big 10 preview show. I want you to come down and talk like a rundown of every team situation. I'm like, I'm not your Huckleberry now. <laughs> I, I was your boy in college. Like, you get, get me 10 years ago. Like, yeah, call me up. I, I'll tell you everything about Northwestern's backup QB. I'm not that guy anymore. There's just not enough hours in the day. I, to put a button on the Walker thing, I think it's a loss for the school, too. We feel bad for the kid, I think, in, in Spartan Nation or whatever. But this was a guy who ended up just tying Tony Mandrich for the highest finish ever at sixth, right? I think I got that right. Sherman Lewis was third. Oh, okay. Way, okay. Back in, I think, 61. So Mandrich, I think, maybe, was second. 63, six, maybe, for Sherman Lewis. Well, you're going way back then. Oh, yeah. 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 No, but it's it was rarefied air to be in the discussion for Michigan State. Some schools, you know, Bama, they're in it all the time. I just, I feel like the Heisman is different. I would not feel this way. There's people that obsess over, I'm a Pistons fan. Back in the day, you know, I was in high school at the time. Oh, Ben Wallace better win Defensive Player of the Year. It's like, I, I hope he does. I'm a Pistons fan. I like Ben Wallace. I hope he wins it. I'll clap if he does. I'll be, you know, I'll boo boo if he doesn't. <laughs> but I'm not going to be on day nine of him being snubbed, if you were, and whining about it. This, to me, they don't make the Walter Camp house with the Nissan commercials, which have been going on forever. There is a prestige to it that stands out more than any other award in sports, I would argue, in terms of an individual award. It has more prestige than winning an NBA MVP or a Conn Smythe. may not be as high of an achievement. You're, you're not the best at the highest level. But in terms of cachet and commercial, you know, commercial ability to, to cash in on that, 
I feel like Michigan State was a big loser in this too. Is that kind of a fair assessment? Yeah, to a, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I think the other thing that that's kind of there and it's kind of the elephant, or as Tom as I would say, the white elephant in the room, um, is that Hutchinson was there, that Michigan was represented, that he made the late surge. I mean, that ultimately is why it's still a conversation peaks a week and a half later. That's, I guess I, you know I, it, it's <laughs> it's well, but it's the same thing on yeah. the other side of how Michigan State winning that game was the conversation piece, and then it became Michigan beat, topping them in the in the uh, CFP standings, and that became. I mean, it people don't necessarily because they're in the middle of this rivalry sometimes realize how much the rivalry itself amplifies little things, and and how kind of. Um, overblown some of this gets because you're, de- you're living with it and dealing with it every day. I mean, there, there are people that, that have covered some of those SEC schools that sometimes walk into this and don't realize that. Um, and, and because I think partly they're, they're blind to it and partly because they, they hear the narrative for, you know, 50 years about Ohio state, Michigan, when this is, this is different. I mean, you know, the, the, we were talking off air about, you know, kind of the historic books, but I don't, the the books that David Young wrote, um, arrogance and scheming in the Big Ten, yeah. and the the uh, the, uh, the uh, professor and his student are a fascinating glimpse because they're they're contemporary uh, contemporary writings of a, a lot of the principal players of keeping Michigan State out of the Big Ten from Michigan's angle, Michigan State trying to get in the Big Ten trying to build their program. I mean, it is a fascinating read. And David Young, I've talked to extensively over the years, um, was a Notre Dame guy, which is the, the fascinating part of that. But, I mean, he put together such a, a, a really interesting, this is where it's all, this is where the ground was laid for what we deal with now. And it can be a very toxic rivalry, more so than Ohio State-Michigan. Um, I think that surprises a lot of people. But, you know, kind of when you get in the middle of it, and you have whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, if you go back to 2014 and the Cotton Bowl, I can remember Mark D'Antonio being just, I don't want to say irate, but he was more than miffed that he was being asked in, in the Cotton Bowl inside the stadium about Jim Harbaugh being hired. You know, flip that around. What if, if Mel Tucker was hired, would, would Jim Harbaugh have been asked the same questions? You know, those this is where the little brother syndrome comes from. This is where the little brother insult comes from. This, I, all these things that have magnified and, and piled on top of each other historically. Um, that's why the Michigan fans jump on Michigan State whenever they can. And it's why the Michigan State fans for the last decade and a half have been the ones doing the talking because they haven't had that chance really since the 50s and 60s, not, not in any of our lifetime. So it, it is fascinating to watch because I, I did grow up outside of it. So, you know, but, you know, I've been in, I went to Michigan State. I have no problem with saying that, but didn't grow up really a, a fan. I mean, I grew up watching Connor Hayward's dad play. I grew up watching Dan Marino play. I watched a lot of pit football and basketball. I could tell you all the, you know. You're 80, a Steelers fan. I am a Steelers yeah, fan. I can tell you all fan. the 86, 87, 88 pit teams with uh, Sean Miller and Jerome Lane. And that's what, those are the teams that I followed. So, I mean, it was, but I was also a sports fan. So you, you knew about the Michigan state, you knew about the Michigan, you watched a lot of those games. We had, we had a Notre Dame house. My, my uncle was a big Notre Dame guy because Terry Hanratty went there. 
uh, from our hometown. Just we also followed Michigan State because the Saul brothers went there. We followed Penn State because they were guys. So, you know, when you don't necessarily, you, you kind of get a better idea of it coming in from the outside than people who've kind of lived it every day of their lives. And it, it, it's fascinating because you do see where each side comes from. And, you know, you can see that with this in particular, the Michigan fans, even though they lost, they knew that they were going to get it in on Michigan State about winning the Big Ten getting to the college football playoffs and then the Hutchins thing on top of it. So it magnified all of that. I, I don't think it's just about the Walker thing. I think if this was last year and Michigan had the season it had and Michigan state, the same thing happened to to Kenneth Walker. And instead it was pick a random player from Iowa, Tyler Linderbaum say, say that he's, he's the guy that, that goes to New York over Kenneth Walker and he finishes six. It's not going to be the same as, with Aiden Hutchinson going. No, there. you're right. You're right. And and I mean, I'm curious for your thoughts on this because there's some people that out there that think that kind of what you're talking about with the media bias, you know, would Harbaugh have been asked about Mel Tucker the way D'Antonio was about Harbaugh? There's some people that think that media perception that Michigan State is is less than had an influence on this result. It wasn't just, oh, he had a bad game against Ohio State. He picked the wrong time to have a bad game. That it was a specific anti-Michigan State thing. We'll start in-house, then we'll go out-house here. Uh, <laughs> Darian Harris, I don't mean like a, the shitter. It's not to insult the guy. But Darian Harris, who's done the show, good friend of the show. He's still working for Michigan State. Great guy. I love Darian Harris. This was his tweet when this whole thing came out with Kenneth Walker uh, not being nominated or not being uh, a finalist. Quote, Michigan State University is one of the biggest brands in the world. This is simply position bias, recency bias, and weighing current hype over a full season of production and elevation of an entire program and community. Shameful. Hashtag release the ballots. Voters, put your name on it. That was piggybacked by someone not working for the university, someone who, like me, has ruffled feathers up there, despite their Michigan State allegiance, Mike Valenti. This is how he laid it out. Quote, you started to see it later in the year. Suddenly, Kenneth Walker began to disappear from all of ESPN's little polls. The Ohio State game happens, and the national media decided the campaign was over. We're not going to mention Kenneth Walker's name again. The overall body of work did not matter. So their takeaway, and this was something out there from other people too, is it wasn't just bad timing and, and someone that didn't have enough time because they're on the West Coast or they have four kids. That it was a specific, ah, that's Michigan State. Like, they get the Michigan State uh, sort of downgrade. Do you think there's any element of truth to kind of what they're saying? Is there some element of that out there? I mean, I think that there's a lot of voices that were pushing him, or pushing Aiden Hutchinson, I should say. Um, how many people were out there pushing Kenneth Walker after the Michigan game? Not many. Not I mean, many. Gus Johnson I mean, excited. After, for the, after the Michigan game, though, in well, November. I mean, there oh, were, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, really I not. mean, there there really weren't. I mean, it 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 it's funny and and kind of weird. I mean, it, it it did really taper off even in the week after. I'm trying to remember who they played right after Michigan, the Purdue game. I think it was. It was the Purdue loss. So yeah. the Purdue loss. You know, again, an individual award. Still ran, I believe, for over 100 yards in that game. And. Because they, the team lost and couldn't stop Aiden O'Connell on the defensive side, it goes the other way. And that's, I think, where it started to kind of fall apart. And, you know, it, it's an individual award. You shouldn't have to be a 12-win a national championship team. That's not what that award is about. I mean, it, 
the voting criteria is pretty specific with it. And there is an integrity component that comes with it, as we know, with the whole Reggie Bush situation of right. having it stripped. Um, but, you know, Walker, there's nothing about Kenneth Walker that doesn't scream integrity. <laughs> He's the you know, guy I ever. mean, he really is uh, humble. I, I've, I've been really surprised how quiet he can be. You know, I mean, I think he's just, you know, he's he's seems like just a guy that likes to play football and does it well. Yeah, you know? most humble guy ever. Yeah. So, I mean, but but there was that that tapering and it, and then the Ohio State game happened and then it was a plummet. So, I don't know. Who's to blame for it? You know, is it is it higher ups? I mean, there's clearly talking points and, you know, that that does tend to sway the votes. I mean, there's 900 some voters, though. That's part of it as well. Is there's, you know, maybe there's too many, but maybe guys like me shouldn't have a vote. Maybe guys like Graham Couch shouldn't have a vote. Although he probably won't next year, but that's a whole other story. I like Graham. I said Graham Couch's article. Now, now Graham wants me six feet under. He's not a fan of mine. But I said the Graham Couch article was one of the best articles I read in 10 years for, for sports. Yeah. Like it was one of the best 10 sports columns I've read. I, I said it publicly. His article, for those that didn't read it, was essentially saying, and you've touched on it a little bit, Guys like me shouldn't have a vote. Guys like Graham Couch, Chris Sorry shouldn't have a vote because we don't have the time. We're we're so focused on our team, right? That was the essence of his yeah, point. And I mean, if, if the retired people in our industry that aren't on, you know, spending Friday in an airport, Sunday in an airport, right. and all day Saturday writing and and watching one game and focusing on the, the stat book that you got and then catching up. I mean, that's there is an inherent issue with that. Um, but again, that's been again. This is an award. It's it's like saying, should the the writers vote for the Hall of Fame? Well, is there a Hall of Fame without the writers? No. It was started by the Baseball Writers of America. The Heisman was started by the Heisman Trust, and this is the system they enacted back in what thirty seven when it started. So, right or wrong, I mean, do you, you do try to evolve with the times? But nine hundred some voters seems like a lot, but it also gives you a better, broader context of of people around the country. Cause I know that there are voters in every state that they try and reach. So I don't know. I, I you know, the, but it, this is one of those years though, that you can see the broken flaws and the broken system and the, some of the flaws in it. Who, who and why? I mean, you know, TV plays a big part of it. TV plays a really big part of it um, because that's how we catch up on things now. Yeah. You know, and talking heads because, doesn't matter where you're at or what time of the day it is. You're going to have a talking head show going. And what are the, what are the talking points that day? Yeah, it's, it's just a bummer. I, I think it was, they, I think they blew it. I think that's pretty clear. And there's objective reasons why we can lay that out, but we'll leave it there. I, I will gonna, say, I will say this though. Oh, yeah, I do, ahead, I, they're fascinating football players. I mean, they're all fascinating and really good football players that were in contention for that award. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, but again, I, I, I voted why I voted Yeah, because you know, the, the the fascinating quote that we get in our industry all the time is you have to do more with less. And ultimately, who did more with less this year? Like, who did more with less in the last five years? I That's mean, right. you could argue he's done more with the less than anybody in the last half decade. Like, like legitimately, like who who yeah. else elevated a program? This was, I said it, this guy was a five wins above replacement running back. If you just put easily average running back on that team, they win five games, not eight, five, maybe six. He's so, and that's young wasn't worth. I, I had him six wins. and six coming into the year because we didn't know what this guy was. 
People were going to throw a parade for six and six. Although yeah. he got mad at me when I said that when he was on my show. Him and Connor Award didn't like that. But I said, if you guys internally know, that's I mean, yeah. that's a, you can't think like that as a player. But I mean, externally, and that's why they say block out the noise, block out yeah. the noise. But the reality is, they didn't know what they had until they stepped on that field at Northwestern. You could spend a whole off season and see things in practice, and and say, well, we're going to be exponentially better. But you wouldn't have projected out a ten and two season at that point. No, I mean, only Colton Pouncey saw Kenneth Walker being this good. But uh. well, yeah, you could hear. I mean, you could hear people talking about yeah. it. But you're also running against a defense that had its its own share of issues, it's right? Fair. So, fair. so what's the reality that comes? I mean, was it partly a favorable schedule? A little bit. Was it partly Miami turned out to not be as good as people thought? A little bit. Um, he still had a lot of hard yards in that Nebraska game that they managed to win. Um, barely. Um, but I mean, they don't, I don't know if they win that game without that run he had in overtime. No, of course not. You know, and they do. So, I mean, you know, even the games that he was, the Indiana game, people, people are going to look at that Indiana game and say, well, that's another big reason because of, you know, Indiana did that to him. Tom Allen's a heck of a defensive coach and they schemed that game one man they were going to stop and it was going to be Kenneth Walker. And they did. And he still managed to, I think, get around 80-some yards. And it was, those were the hardest yards maybe he had all year. Yeah. yeah not even, not the, not, the, not the runs that he had in the Ohio State game. It was the Indiana game that he had. That's, he showed me a lot in that game with not being necessarily a guy who's running 75-yard touchdowns every first play of the game. And that, was, that was a football game. And he was a football player in that game. And Again, they don't think they win that game without the job that he did running downhill in that second half and wearing that defense down. He won't have the career because I think he will be will be gone. So he won't have the career chops. But in terms of like just player, if I had to beat Bama next week, my life depended on it. I wanted the best horse I could possibly have. To me, he's the best Michigan State player I've ever seen. I've had Charles Rogers up there forever. A lot of people got mad at me when I put Walker over Rodgers. No problem. Rodgers was my, people said I'm a prisoner of the moment. I said, hey, asshole. Rodgers, <laughs> Rodgers left 19 years ago. I'm not that big of a prisoner of the moment. It's not like I was like, oh, Javon Ringer, oh, Connor Cook. Like, calm down, everyone. Oh, Greg Jones. Like, I had the same guy for 19 years. I'm not a prisoner of the moment. I know what I saw. Take your pick. He's way up there. And I'm not going to get into Bubba Smith. Like, that's 50, yeah, 50 that's, years before I was that's, born. That's, like, like, those guys that are, you know, in, in at least the last 50 years. I think it's a good way to, to phrase it, in the last 50 yeah. years. I mean, you think you got guys like Gibson, right. um, Steve Garvey, who Rising, I see over there. Ryzen was, was in there, although they didn't throw him the ball, but yeah. that's a whole other Big thing. Lorenzo right. White was up there. I mean, Lorenzo White was a bull in a china shop who kept getting fed the ball over and over and over and over again, right? I mean, even Lorenzo White, I heard him talk and say that Kenneth Walker is the best running back he's seen. Yeah, I, I saw the same thing. And Lorenzo White, again, love Lorenzo White. They did incredible things. Leading rusher at one of the best, uh, longest football programs ever. Like, four yards of carry. Like, he wasn't going six and a half. I know it's a different yeah. era, but, like, he was getting the ball 40 times a game. Like some oh, yeah. of these 38 carries a game. Like, come on. Like, it's just different. Walker was different. So let's, let's get to the news of today. Look, I said about recruiting forever. There's this camp of all oh, recruiting's overrated. And then there's the camp of all oh, recruiting's everything. And people joke about Michigan. Uh, they won the off season. That was the thing for years when now Michigan, you can't say shit because they're the champs right now. But for a while, that was a thing. I'm always in the middle. 
I acknowledge it's important. Obviously, I think people that deny it or even downplay it are silly. Thank you, D'Antonio, for all the two stars you developed. That's wonderful. There's a reason why the top 10 ranked recruiting classes are usually 10 of the best 15 teams, even if it doesn't fall perfect. Falls close. So it's important. I, I acknowledge that. But I don't like the chaos of today. I don't like the four delays on, okay, he's announced, someone's announcing at 10, and they're announcing at 12.30, they're announcing at 2.30. Mm-hmm. Um, not my cup of tea. But one of my favorite quotes with recruiting to sort of frame what some, because there's different takes on it. Some people are more regional recruiters, coaches, D'Antonio certainly. Some are more global. It was Barry Alvarez, we'll stay in the Big Ten, famous Wisconsin coach. This was his quote about recruiting. I think this was like over 20 years ago now at this point. Quote, our heart and soul will come from Wisconsin. Our hands and feet better come from somewhere else. So that's Barry saying, look, like we're going to have that Wisconsin edge. We're going to be like, you know, good, tough, you know, farm boy kind of thing. But like we got to recruit outside of the Wisconsin border. Like there's, there's not the horses if we want to accomplish what we want to accomplish. D'Antonio was a little bit more. I mean, he was, he was dipping into Ohio quite a bit. Obviously, he was pulling some good guys from the state of Georgia. I, 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 I'm so traumatized. I'm just ready for people to comment about, oh, what about this guy? Generally speaking, he was a lot of Michigan, a lot of Ohio. Tucker seems a little more of the Barry Alvarez model. He's trying to bring in the, the arms and feet or whatever from outside of the state of Michigan. Just generally, I'm not going to get into uh, deep of like, go, let's go through the 17 guys. I don't think that's, that's more of a written form thing. But just generally, how did today go for them? Are they, what is Mel Tucker trying to do? And you think he's getting there based on what you saw today? Yeah. And I, I had that back and forth a little bit with Colton today, because I think some of this is based on the circumstances, right? I mean, Mel Tucker spent three years in Georgia, established all these relationships with high school coaches there, knows the talent pool in that age range because he's been scouting them since they were 14 years old. So it makes a lot of sense to dig into Georgia, go after those players. but. I still, there's still a lot of football players in Ohio and it's a lot closer and proximity oftentimes does win out when you're trying to win mom and dad and you drive to the game. Still got seven players from Georgia. And so they're definitely hungry guys. There are guys like Dark Wes Denard and Heath Mumfrey and whoever else you want to throw in there, the Connor Haywards, uh, Shakur Brown, all those guys came from Georgia. So it's not like there wasn't a, there, there wasn't, uh, an obliviousness of Georgia. Let's wow, they have football players there. Really, no. I mean, they, they, that staff, the previous staff, knew that they went to Texas. They went to get you know guys in Texas. They went to um, the, you know, a couple other places. But this staff has prioritized uh, Georgia the last two years, and I'm sure it will be for a little while longer at least. Um, I think they've prioritized New Jersey, um, and you look at. You know what they were going after, Audric Estime. They got Vandemark. They got the Wigginton kid the last couple of years on the offensive line. They got now Berger. You Did know, he get the tackle that we were against Kentucky for? I didn't know. No. He went to Kentucky. Keonta uh, Goodwin. Yeah, he, he, he stayed with Kentucky. Okay. He's a Louisville kid. I mean, you can't besmirch the kid that. But it says a lot, too, though, that and I think that, that it's a win without winning because he had nothing but good things to say about the job that Mel Tucker and, and Chris Kapilovich did in recruiting him. And I think that was part of the reason that he was torn a lot today. Who knows whatever other reasons there may be because it's recruiting and recruiting can sometimes be a dirty cesspool. 
uh, particularly down south. But that's a whole other yeah. that's a whole other podcasting conversation. But I think that was because of the way it came out of it and how quickly that came about and how quickly he was in on that that kid um, and got to the final two. And the same with the the receiver, uh, Armani. Winfield, who decommitted from Texas, all of a sudden was in the mix, and then Baylor came in and kind of st- again staying close to home, so you can understand those kind of things. Um, you don't besmirch a kid to stay home, you know that yeah. those those things come into play in recruiting, and that's why I do think that Ohio eventually is going to be because there is talent in Ohio. There's there's a reason that that Michigan State. This is the first class that I can remember that they did not have an Ohio kid. Was today a good day overall? Overall, I think it was pretty, because yeah, they, I, they got more there. four stars than they've had uh, combined in the last four years. I think they had five four-star kids. Four of them were in-state kids, which is a big thing because you want to keep those in-state kids to your program. That's, a, that's the building block that D'Antonio started to build their run. Kept the better kids, you know, started getting that pipeline with Will Golston and Chris Norman and all those guys, those four and five stars from Detroit that ultimately built them towards Big Ten championships. You got to, you know, it's the Tom Izzo theory. And I think that D'Antonio had that tier one, tier two, you know, right. you know, it's, you want, you want to maintain Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. That, right now, that's not the case. And I, I think Mel Tucker, he ta- he's going to do it how he's going to do it. But I think at some point when he starts building and establishing those relationships in Ohio, which they haven't had a chance to really do to walk the hallways in schools, all the things that you've had for years past in in recruiting. I mean, to not have that and start a new job and and try and build that um, is difficult. Um, You're going to have those relationships. A guy like Harlan Barnett does, but does a guy like, Kapilovich, does a guy like Ross Ells, you know, guys that are William Peeler, guys that are new to the Midwest, maybe don't necessarily have those kind of deep rooted connections that D'Antonio and his staff did coming from Youngstown, Cincinnati, Ohio State. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's, they, those are 20 year established relationships, 25 year established relationships that allowed them to, to find a guy like Le'Veon Bell. I mean, we could talk all we want about the good players in Georgia. And there are a lot of them. There are plenty of them, but Le'Veon Bell was a two-star kid from Ohio and Nick Tompkins was a three-star kid from Georgia. Who would you take? I'll take Le'Veon. Right. I mean, you know, Jeremy Langford was what a three-star kid from Detroit. You're going to take him. So, I mean, it it all comes down to analysis and assessment. Um, And which is something again, that they've, you know, Mel Tucker has been able to do with a lot of those kids from Georgia for, the three years that he was DC and in, in with, with, uh, with Kirby smart down there. I so also, I was going to say with Kenneth Walker in the transfer portal, it was that's it? pure film. Two, four, seven had him like the 98th guy or something. Like he was in a lot of people who, missed. Yeah. Nobody was like, Oh my God, Kenneth Walker. It is not an exact science. And that's, that's partly why I don't like today. It, you know, people think that, you're winning. I, I I told someone earlier today, I said, you know what this is? You know what signing day is? It's getting your Christmas presents on Thanksgiving and saying you can't touch them till Christmas. Yeah. One way to put it. I mean, you're yeah. not going to have these, you're going to have these kids for practice in January and they'll be on the field in August. Maybe you'll see some, maybe you won't. You'll, I mean, how many true freshmen are going to play? There are yeah. spots. There's definitely spots, but there's also a portal. So you, you, where are you going to fill your immediate needs? 
You know, you're going to try and build these kids. You know, you didn't see hard. You didn't, I don't think you saw any of the freshman linemen that they devoted much of last year's class to. No Vandemark, no uh, uh, Wigginton, none of those guys that they, they went in on. They were all redshirting. So now, first time you're probably going to, you might see them in a the bowl game because it won't count against their eligibility. You know, give them a little building block, give them a little taste, but still it'll be until fall when you might see them. Yeah, you maybe. might be. So two, two Christmases away. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's ultimately <laughs> right. what it is right. with a lot of these kids because some of them aren't physically mature and they need to hit the strength and conditioning programs in college to get there. Yeah. Some of them are elite athletes that are going to play right away, but it's going to be a handful. Ma Naoteote was the highest rated recruit last year and he barely saw the field on the defensive side. So, I mean, it, he was a four-star kid. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't like, no, he had a little three-star kid. No, this was a kid that a lot of people identified. So it is, it's it's a totally inexact science. And a lot of it goes with who you have coming back, where your ultimate needs and necessities are. And I think they addressed them between the 22 players that they signed today and the four guys from the portal that they got. They've got, they have a nice collection of talent in spots that they needed. It's so you win a day when you do yeah. that. I mean, I think it's, it, I think it seems like the people that I know that I trust on this stuff seem to think it was a good day for Michigan state. Not my lane really. I mean, I, I pay attention after the fact. Like I, said, I read people like Chris Solari, Justin Thin, Graham couch. And I read what they say about the class, like after the fact, but I think it's the worst Twitter day of the year <laughs> for me personally. I hate it. I hate that aspect of it because it's a bunch of uh, kind of look at me, look at me stuff. And, it, there's nothing more insufferable. The people that tweet at recruits nasty shit are like terrible. Like, Awful. It, yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm with everybody on that. And I, I was accused of doing that one time for saying generally, I didn't like people uh, that were recruits talking trash of the rival before you even step foot on campus. Didn't attack anybody or tweet at anybody or whatever. But like, I don't yeah. think that kid ended up in Michigan State either. By he the went way. to UCF. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Spider Neely. Spider Neely. And but that gets to my point. When everyone was, I like that you knew what I was talking oh, yeah. about. But yeah, it's, all I said was like, I don't like these guys talking trash. I wasn't calling them names or whatever. Like, or, it's yeah. terrible. But but that that stuff's bad. I agree. But I'm I'm that's actually getting at least in my realm. I don't know who you guys follow out there. In my realm. That's getting fewer and far between. What I'm, I just look. It's a small. It's a pet beef. It's not like a legitimate grievance, but everybody's so obnoxious now. With reminder, friendly reminder for today. No tweeting at recruits, and then you get these guys that'll. Uh, this, let's say you're a, a left tackle from Texas. My final two are Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Georgia. And a Michigan State fan. Oh, I don't care what you pick. I want what's happy, you know, it, it, for you. I want what's best for you, and I care about you. And and look, I hope you go to Michigan State, but I, I'll, I'll carry your bags for you all the way to Austin, Texas, if you pick the long <laughs> run. Like, shut, like they're not. I'm sorry. Like you can think that. Oh, I'm like I'm making Michigan State seem more friendly. It's it's the phoniest shit. I know it's a yeah, pet beef. No, I right. know it's not like a legitimate grievance, but it's just it's like the fakest nice day of the it, year. These dudes see through that because they got to deal with it on a daily. Yeah, I mean it's just yeah. You know that's part of. I mean it's a terrible part of the of being a kid right now. That's but I mean you know for the people that tweeted them. I mean what would you tell your fucking kid if he's your neighbor, right? Yeah. If it's your neighbor's kid and he says, you know what. I'm going to go to school B down, down the road in the other state that you don't like. Um, are you going to tell you, tell that kid to fuck off? No, <laughs> no, you, That's I mean, worse for sure. I mean, be a human. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's the problem with uh, with all of social media is the, the the humanity is lost, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a mechanism. I mean, for God's sakes, they have bots, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it, it and and people know what buttons to push. Come on. No, I, I mean, look, I have, I think, a third of your following, Chris, and we're actually hitting on Twitter trolls in the speed round. The spoiler alert. On <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of that. But I have like a third of your following, maybe maybe a quarter. I can't remember. I've done the math recently. But when I had a much smaller following, like a few hundred, I was openly, and you could go on my Twitter history, like openly anti-black. I was like blocking people. Just who cares? Like someone lets someone, it's weak or whatever. And then when, you know, we did the show, Followers start to grow. Now I defend everyone, and I'm I'm one of those guys. I just don't have time for it. Like I don't want it right. polluting. If I post something and I have you know 17 people responding, I don't want seven. It's not oh I'm sensitive. I'm telling a therapist about it tomorrow. It's right. like I don't want the clutter. Like I like, I don't want to read it. I I want a nice. Like people were calling me out for my take on Matthew Stafford yesterday or the day before. No problem. Like it wasn't personal. I'm not, I'm not blocking those people. Right. Like that's fine. But like if you're like. Oh, you, you know, uh, what a dumb fuck you are. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, get hair plugs, your hairline sucks or whatever. The sophomoric <laughs> stupid shit that if, if you, if you're in third grade, cool, you're, yeah. you know, but you just released somebody from the Solari yeah. prison that I appealed, did. they appealed to me. I was on the parole board. I did. I, I did go back and double check what it was. And I'm like, eh. I looked it up too. I'm not going to throw it. If you throw personal insults at someone. It was Come on. Mean. I mean, I, I, it, it, I don't give a damn. Yeah. Believe me, ask my friends. I don't give two <laughs> shits. It's, yeah. But, you know, when you get to that point where it's just like, I'm doing my job, dude. Come yeah. on. Just chill. You I, know? I just, Be, just, remember, there's a human on the other side. And remember, there's a human on the other side um, of that recruit that you tweet yeah. or that coach that you tweet that has other shit that they're dealing with that has nothing to do with basketball and what you do is it compounds a lot of that sometimes. yeah yeah i mean that's there were people it was rare but there were people that were making jokes about cassius winston when his brother died it's like yeah it's like there's people like that need to be found and like uh exiled from society oh yeah i mean that goes beyond that goes beyond be human like, i mean seriously Kentucky. i mean be human i yeah. mean it's those and i got it for reporting on the damn thing and it's the hardest thing I had to deal with because I know the that Winston kid, thing? I know that family. Yeah. 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 From, from people within the football program. They were mad at you for reporting uh-huh. it? What, what was the nature uh, take of the for taking a picture of him, you know, and, and oh, Kai. I, you got or, shit on Twitter I, for that. Was that you? I did. Like, why are you exploiting I did. I meanwhile, that. meanwhile, I BTN's that. running the whole thing, you know, yeah. and on video. And it's just, it, you know what it was to me? And there was, there was a football player that he went to high school with. I hold no grudge on that because I get that the people who were tweeting him were the ones who were in pain, were the ones who, uh, if you have a heart and you have some humanity, that they were expressing their humanity, right? So I get that. I totally understand yeah. where they're coming from. But their lens of what I saw versus my lens as a father who saw his two Two kids, you know, if if Reg Winston saw that and saw his two kids 10 years from now and sees that moment, the pain that's there also is exemplified by the closeness that is there. And nobody saw, 
you're 20 years old, you're not going to understand that. When you're 30, you might. When you're 40, you will. Yeah, I agree. You know? Your perspective changes. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you on just That like, was not an exploitative moment whatsoever. That was a moment where I looked and, I, you know, you know what that family's dealing with. And it was a story. It's not like you broke into the guy's house and stole his journal. Like, yeah, it, he was in it, Breslin Center. Yeah. And, you know, that the story was, you know, should he have even been there? That's where he needed to be. Yeah. You know, and you know what else he needed? Would, would he show up? He needed to be there in that moment with his brother right there. And that's what that moment was. And, he, you know, he comes out and just drills that first three in that game. And that was that was a tough one. That. That season in dealing with that and watching him go through that was one of the hardest things as a reporter I've had to see. Because I like yeah. Cassius, you know, ever since covering him and, and his family and his commitment down at UAD Jesuit uh, back in 2015 or whenever it was. Um, he's a real good kid. And to see that, and a real good family too, um, to see them go through that was was painful. To hear Tom Izzo in Maui say that, Foster lawyer had to pick him, pick Cassius up off the the bench, and there was a puddle of tears under him. In paradise, his family's there; they're together. They're trying to escape it. There was no escape from that. That's it. It's that's humanity, right? You know, that's the human side of what our job is to try and tell that story, which is not easy whatsoever. Yeah. And I mean, Izzo said that was one of his, you said, you know, hardest things to cover as a reporter. Izzo said that was one of his hardest coaching jobs. He rides his point guards very hard. His leaders very hard. He he said it openly. I I don't know whether to yell at him. Do I pull back a little bit? Like, you know, he didn't know what to do and there's, there's no good answer. You're either an asshole or you're not doing your job as the coach. Like, what do you do? Yeah. And it's, you know, that's where, it's a tough line in sports, whatever it might be, right? Whether you're a fan, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player trash talking another player, whatever it is, there's, there's invisible lines that you're going to ultimately cross. And sometimes you don't know where those lines are. And sometimes when you do, you do look like an asshole. And sometimes you, you don't know how to deal with it after that. So, I was, you know, the same thing happens on Twitter. You know, people don't know what lines they're crossing or they don't care. You know, that's the difference. That's the difference between humanity and insanity, right? You know, do you care about what you're doing? The anonymous thing is what bothers me, Chris. I, the anonymous thing I could, I could go for hours on this. I, I, I mean, it's, we're way off side today, but we'll, we'll, yeah. <laughs> the anon- <laughs> well, this is, this, this, we'll skip it in the speed round because this is going to be part of our, one of our mini topics. But like the anonymous thing, look, I have a much, uh, I, I don't block right away, even for personal shit, if your name's on there, because it's like, th- those ge- people get like five strikes. They don't get one strike or three. Like, they get five. If you got your name on there, okay, like, you know, at least you're out there. Look, I'm not perfect, man. I've said some shit I regret publicly, uh, privately. Certainly in my 20s, I was an ass. I, you know, 34 now, in my 20s, I was an ass. And say whatever you want about me, hate me, whatever. Justin Spiro was next to everything I said. I've paid a price for some of those things I said, but I paid the toll. Whatever price there was to pay for what I said, good or bad, I paid it. I didn't hide under a blanket and, and, and go, uh, go Sparty 72. And that to me is where it's really like, I've always said on this show, if you don't have enough respect for what you're saying to put your own name on it, you don't like what you're saying enough to claim it. Why should I give a fuck? Like you're blocked, like go away. You know whose problem this is? You know who created this problem? My industry. 
You're blaming yourself, not you. Oh, but I've the, said this for I've said this for I said this for twenty almost twenty five years now. The day that newspapers decided to enact message boards and comment sections and hold those people to a different standard than the people who wrote letters to the editor, where those people had to submit their name, phone number, address, and a copy of their driver's license sometimes, really? depending on wow. where you were at. I didn't know you went that far. Yeah, because you're putting that out into the public discourse. Yeah. You don't want to stand behind it? Then it shouldn't be published. I think you should have to register it the way you would for like a driver's license to post on Twitter. I don't think they should be compelled to private company. But like the, the day someone comes up with the Twitter, not parlor, like the Twitter version where like you have to upload your government ID or something, like I'll, I'll, I'll pay for that. Like, because I want you and, and Odell Breton Jr. and, you know, those guys, he'll put his real name if he has to. Like, I, I don't want the, the, you know, you know, go butt boy 72 guy. Like that's, oh. those, those guys are out there. There's one in particular in the Michigan state fan base. He's tweeting me all, every two weeks. It's just like, you know, but it's, Put it's my, it's my industry's fault. That's this, interesting. This, I've never heard uh, anyone blame. I've, you're blaming. I, I fought vehemently against that. Uh, one of the papers that I was at when it started to become a thing. I said, we don't do this for letters to the editor. Why would we do this in some other sphere that is under our name and banner? But you're blaming, what does it have to do with Twitter though? Like, why would you? Twitter's a whole different thing. But the anonymity thing started with the comment sections with everything else and people got comfortable with it. Oh, okay. People so got accustomed it grew to it. from that. Scene. And it really did grow from that. And that's where you get the Twitters. I mean, you know, the you know, Facebook, I mean, then, then it was, well, we're going to, we'll, we'll secure it. We'll put, you have to have a Facebook account. You still don't even know who that person is. Yeah. You know, you give me your name and credit card number to see a subscriber. Sure. Facebook, you used you to know? have your real name on there because you had to have an actual legitimate verified .edu, like an active right. .edu. So I, I think I don't. Thank, even... Thanks, Peter McPherson, for allowing me to keep my pilot ID long enough to <laughs> long enough to sign up for Facebook in like 2006 or you seven backdoor or whatever. It. Yeah. yeah, they got rid of my ID pretty quick. I don't know my. That's that's when they purged them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got purged. I was in the purge. I guess. Yeah. I so was, so was mine. It's gone. It's long gone now. Yeah. All the all the 1993 emails from my high school classmates talking about, oh, this is going to be great. We have this new thing called email. We can keep in touch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Facebook was like, I mean, it used to be just college because people forget that. And like, I remember when they opened it up to everyone, my mom was on there like the second day and I'm like, all right, so, <laughs> so much for posting those party pictures. Like that's, it's going to, it's now, you know, now it's like pictures of my cats and yeah. kids and shit. But that, but that's ultimately what happened, right? I yeah. mean, the, the, the anonymity that's out there in, in all these other realms, uh, came mainstream because newspapers and news outlets accepted it. They accepted it for, you know, whatever reason. And you can't put Pandora's, you can't put Pandora's genie back in the bottle, right? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know we'll, where I was going with that one. But, we'll we'll you know. go with that. Yeah. So let me, let me bring it back and we'll kind of finish with signing day here. And then I want to touch a little bit on speaking of assholes falling from people's <laughs> heads. I want to finish with signing day and just Mel Tucker generally here. I have some, Concerns, not me, but concerns about other people and how things will be handled in this instance. I want you to envision a scenario because progress is not linear. Michigan State went 10-2 this year. Let's say they win the bowl game, they're 11-2. and two. Kenny Pickett sits out or doesn't play well, whatever. Next year, they come out, they're 7-5, and 8-4, and four, whatever. Progress isn't linear. It's not, oh, mm-hmm. they won 10, they'll win 11 next year, or at least 10 or whatever. 
I I have some concerns, not about, oh my God, is Mel real the real guy? Not about that. I believe in Mel Tucker. But the fan base and the energy, sort of the momentum around it, it's all forward momentum now. It wasn't an undefeated season, but the momentum generally, the trajectory, if you stand back, the charts, an arrow straight up. Is the fan base, is the, the people around the program, is Matt Ishbia, who just cut a big check, conditioned uh, in the right place mentally to take a seven and five year, which is very plausible and wouldn't necessarily be uh, a sign of any damning outcomes to come. I think the people who understand uh, sports and Ishbia does, I mean, you don't get to that point uh, as a, an athlete without understanding it. And I've, from everybody I've talked to, he's one of the most competitive people that it's out there. Um, I heard that about, about him in college and talking about whatever basketball career um, or games and high school games or whatever. And he, he's carried that into business. I don't think that's the concern. I do think that there is the fan base thing, though. Um, I mean, the law of averages say that you're going to have a regression to the mean in some way. I mean, you, you don't go from two to five, two and five to 10 or 11 and two and not have some sort of either fallback or whatever. I mean, you hit the lottery with Kenneth Walker. Can you do it a second time? What are the odds on that? Not great. I'm not saying you can't again, you know. Wouldn't uh, bet on it. No, I mean, you, you can't. I mean, no one saw this coming. Very few people saw this coming. You outside need to recreate of that it in the aggregate. Like, yeah. you know, get three or four guys that are better at three or four positions. Hey, and maybe... Maybe maybe next year's Kenneth Walker are the the Brule and Wyndham kids at linebacker in playing in a different level with Cal Halliday where they've able they're able to get some some difference on the defensive that side UNLV to stop things. Kid, so man, he's good. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, and it's uh, the, the Chris Bogle kid. I don't know if you even knew that they flipped they, or they they got a transfer from Florida. I didn't catch that defensive end. He been oh, playing. he was the one that was like the seventy fifth overall. Yeah, he was. Uh, I did read your. Thing he, they were using that. him as kind of a three four linebacker there, and they're going to be using more in a down lineman pass rush mode here. And again, that's a situation of of building a relationship with a recruit that Mel Tucker built when he was at Georgia and, and we recruited the kid and coming to pass now. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that, that they need to go right. But still they did this with a secondary that was, I'm trying to say how, see, trying to find a way to put it nicely. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't deep. It wasn't deep, and it <laughs> was deep. it was a problematic area coming into the year, which you knew because they went hard on the portal and sent a lot of guys out through the portal. And the sneaky sneaky big loss was Kalen Gervin. Sneaky big. He started those early games yeah. and that was played a weird, four games. That was a weird one. I didn't get that. I think but. he knew his his snaps were going to be limited down the stretch, but. Again, like Noah, Noah Harvey could have done that. Noah Harvey could have jumped in the portal and, and took his last year somewhere else, but he ended up being a very vital part of that defense in the second part of the year because when Crouch's knee got hurt, it, he was the only guy left after Chase Klein left, right? Chase Klein would have been a starter. He also he ends up at Eastern Michigan today. Yeah. Um, but Gervin, I think, was one because – you know, they had the injuries with Brantley. I don't think Brantley's playing again. I mean, you know, there's things that you know and things you can report, and that's one of those things that by all accounts and all rumors and everything else, the shoulder's 
knock them out for the year. You know, they're not going to talk about it, but you know, there's other guys that that you're kind of hearing little bits and pieces of here and there, but you know, Ronald, I mean, Ronald Williams was playing with a bad back. Marquis Lowry was playing with a bad leg. Um, whatever Chester Kimbrough was playing with wasn't good. Um, you know, not saying again that he, you know, it, I don't know if, if he was hurt because they don't talk about it. Right. So if he was hurt, you got a reason there, but you know, you're also not going to get Kenneth Walker's on every transfer. There's a reason guys leave their programs, Yeah, but that was the best of the, and most urgent way to, to address the needs. And they got Justin White to come on late. Remember, Justin White played in that spring game and looked like a Division II player. And, you know, he he improved down, you know, down the stretch. It was a guy that transferred, I think, from Colorado Mesa. And they had him playing. So um, what was the question again? I'm, I'm just drifting well, here I'm on this ba- one. Ba- I'm basically but, just, but yeah, the I mean, question was, the if, seven they and have, five. Right, if they have the bad yeah. year, do you see, look, it, it's not saying, does Chris Solari have doubts about Mel Tucker? That's not the question. But do you think that the edit, because I'm sorry, we've seen it happen. Happens to Texas. Nobody's immune. Yeah. Bam, Bama was, Nick Saban got the get a little defensive. People were bitching about Nick Saban down there seven, eight years ago. Nobody's immune to it. If they go seven and five, there's gun, the people are going to be making fun of the contract outside of the walls. Yeah. People are going to bring that. They brought that up after one fucking loss. They're definitely going to be bringing it up. If it happens uh, to be a seven and five season, are you worried about that impacting what's actually in the walls? Or are they so insulated that they're, they'll be able to tune that out? Look, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope they go 10 and two or better next year. But if it, if they do fall back, are they equipped to handle the negativity? Cause it'll be coming. Unfortunately, that's just the reality. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know because they haven't had that yet. Right. People knew that the team in 2020 wasn't good and they knew everything that went up and down with it. And, yep. you know, there was the, the Michigan game, but that was that 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 glow, even though it carried over, was immediately erased with how everything went at Iowa. Yeah, and, speak for and yourself. All those other it was games. the greatest two win season in the history of football. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that was one of those moments where the fan base accepted and I do think was realistic, which. I would give. Michigan State fans a lot of credit for realism in 2020 because that was a very difficult. I mean, from when Mark D'Antonio retired on February 4th, the day I bought my car. Not don't I don't advise buying a car on a day that a head football coach retires. Recover. <laughs> um, but the day that he retired was after the coaching convention. It you know all the jobs were filled. You had a, a short window before spring practice to get a qualified candidate. And, you know, they managed to get, a, I think they made a better hire than maybe if Luke Fickle would have been there. Because I think Tucker, it, I've heard this from a lot of people, and I'm sure you have heard it from many of the same people. Tucker just gets it, right? You heard, how many times have you heard that? Tucker just gets it. Yeah. yeah I've heard that from a lot of people. Yeah. And you're seeing that on the recruiting trail. You're seeing the, the buzz that's there. That's the reality of college football right now. Michigan State has kind of been, I don't want to say shielded from it, but D'Antonio was calm seas, right? He tried to be calm seas. And there was turbulence. When the turbulence hit, you know, that's, that's where the problems were. And that's where things were, you know, the 16 and, you know, then the bounce back year and 17 after all the problems that, that previous year. and then. Then it was the downturn, right? There was this, you know, there was this notion that there wasn't talent there. There was talent there, but there wasn't much of a buzz. 
you know, I, I, it's funny. I went back and looked through some of the, the things that I wrote. I think it was after the pinstripe bowl. And I talked about how this was, you know, the 2020 off season was just going to be one of just no buzz, no energy. Well, he jolted that, you know, you know, ultimately that I, I remember a, I think it was, I was at Illinois when all that went down for the basketball game. And I don't remember that was like someone put the defibrillator on Michigan state football and jolted them awake. Like, Whoa, what just happened? And that was before they even hired Tucker. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there, remember there were questions about Tucker. Then those questions will come up again. Those same people will say the same questions. If they do go seven and five, um, what's the bar? I mean, is an eight win season, you know, coming off of this year, a bad thing? No, absolutely not. You know, particularly if you don't have Walker back, if you're trying to a sneaky big issue is going to be replacing the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, benefit You want to talk about a team that I, I think that no one really talks about this. I've kind of mentioned it here and there in passing, but one of the things that that offensive line wasn't much better, but those were grown ass men. Those were 60 year guys with Allen and our Curry and a 50 year guy in Jarvis. Um, you know, Buter, I mean, they had grown ass men going against some of these teams, which helps, you know, those guys were younger and hurt all the time. You know, that led to a lot of those seven and six seasons in 18 and 19, but they were grown ass men going against younger guys. So that, that helped somewhat. They got to replace all of those guys. That's, yeah. that's a lot. Everyone's just talking about the Walker thing, which yeah. is presume not official, but presume, but yeah, that's a lot. That's a great point. And again, those guys might be really good coming up behind them. They really raved about that class last year of offensive yeah. linemen, but it's going to take time. It's going to take snaps. And those guys, one thing they had this year was lots and lots of experience, but being very, very old. Well, speaking of the fickle fan base, we'll flip to the other side of the ball and we'll finish here before the speed round. Uh, look, I, I learned my lesson. Now, I, I don't think I was ever out there calling for the firing of the, uh, Pat Narduzzi back in the day. But wasn't your URL? I was certainly criticizing him. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say I'd have to look into my history. I should have, I should have fact checked myself. <laughs> but, but I don't remember thinking, oh, I want him fired. But I remember being furious with him all the time. And then he ended up being fantastic. So there's this, uh, speaking of buzz and asshole fans, there's a perception now uh, that Michigan State has to get rid of Scotty Hazel. That he sucks. He's, he's horrible. Uh, you got to blow him out. I don't care what he did at Buffalo, Kansas State, get him the hell out of town. I think this is ridiculous. His track record, relatively short in that role prior, but was impressive. I think, I mean, injuries aside, you and I may disagree. You say, you know, you cited a lot of injuries. I would cite, I don't know that they have the horses back there to function. We'll get to that in a second. But this is um, sort of a small sampling that we pulled of, I guess, you call them Scotty Hazelton mean tweets. And look, I'm not picking on these people, but like this is a, these were not the yeah. only people. That's the so, Purdue game. So I remember saying that. You, you see that date sticking out. So yep. We'll just rip through them. Fire Scotty Hazelton before the fucking plane ride. Fire Scotty Hazelton, easily the worst defensive coordinator in all of football. At MSU football, y'all need to fire that Viking-looking dude that coaches our defense. Scotty Hazelton is not the answer. This is Big Ten football, not out west bullshit. Oh. I would pay $9.5 million a year to fire Scotty Hazelton. 
If MSU football wants to be a true national contender, they need to fire Scotty Hazleton ASAP. His secondary is dead last in the country. He's had weeks to adjust, and his secondary has gotten statistically worse every week. Hashtag fire Hazleton. So, this is this is uh, an ugly picture. And look, torches and pitchforks. I I did not cherry pick that stuff. That like, that graphic that could have gone on for three hours. I mean, oh, yeah. I, we could have just kept going on and on. And I you know I mentioned in passing, but it does remind me of the perception that was out there with Pat Narduzzi. So we actually pulled those to demonstrate what people were saying about Pat. Very Narduzzi. early Twitter. Very early. We're starting here in 2010. We're all in that kind of 09, 10, 11. They won a Big Ten title that year, mind you. Yeah, yeah, share yeah, it. yeah, sure. That, the last game, what, Penn State? When yep. is Michigan State University going to fire Narduzzi? This is September 2010. My only, This is January 2010. My only Alamo Bowl tweet. I'm really disappointed. Typical Spartans give hope and don't deliver. As I said all year long, fire Narduzzi. Fire Narduzzi, I think it's time to break out the thermodynamics homework. That guy's obviously a student at the time, 2009. (laughs) That was out there. Narduzzi's got to go, but at the same time, the players suck just as much as the coordinator today. So that was kind of a a scattershot attack on everybody. And this is my favorite guy. We have a lot of fun with Moses Fram. I don't know if that's the guy's real name, but uh, thanks, Moses. We'll have some fun with you. 2011. After a Big Ten title. Yeah, this is the year after. Fuck Pat Narduzzi and fuck Dan Roshar. That's the offensive coordinator at the time. Get some new defensive and offensive coordinators now. So <laughs> Narduzzi was going through all the same shit, and we were going to pick on Moses because Moses is the representative example of the evolution I am predicting will happen with Scotty Hazelton. So let's check in on Moses Fram. So again, Moses left us with fuck Pat Narduzzi. Uh, get a new offensive coordinator right now. Get him the fuck out of town. All the receipts it. here. This, this is what Moses was saying. But the, I, I'm not picking on Moses. Moses is a representative example of most of what I read. And then it starts to change a little bit. Fuck. Is Texas A&M about to hire Pat Narduzzi? <laughs> this is a year after. Not Ten- even. That's like six months later. <laughs> six That's months. at the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So so now six months later, oh shit, Texas A&M is interviewing Pat Narduzzi. Maybe I read a rumor. So <laughs> at MSU AD, please don't let Narduzzi go. We gotta pay the man. Twenty twelve, <laughs> also six months later. Later that year, Narduzzi pulls himself out of the BC head coach <laughs> position, which he meant search. Thank God. Move it on. I really don't like all this Narduzzi to UConn talk. It really upsets me. Now we're in the 2013. So Moses, look at Moses going after it. This is, now we're in the 2014. We're probably going to lose Narduzzi this year. I'm sad, but I'm also happy for him. He's earned it. (laughs) This is unbelievable. And then this is where it ends. (laughs) Narduzzi goes to Pitt. And this is from Chris Dokish tweets out, Pitt is number one in sacks, number seven in total defense. Not that that either. Just having this great defense. Quote tweet from Moses Fram in 2015. God, I miss you, Narduzzi. (laughs) So Moses Fram, I think everyone in this Scotty Hazleton uh, needs to go train uh, on that train is the Moses Fram of 2021. I'm curious for your thoughts on this. A, isn't it insanely premature to even be talking about this? But B, even if he's ultimately not the guy, uh, you know, prematurity aside, I think he is, am I crazy to think that he will ultimately vindicate me and make everyone out there seem like a bunch of Moses Frams? I I think that 
there was more clay to mold on the offensive side for Jay Johnson than there was for for Scotty Hazelton. I mean, you saw how many defensive guys left the program. A lot of them were secondary guys. So what ends up being the, the – you can talk portal all you want, but it's not just plug and play. I mean, Quiveris Crouch, for his freaking athlete he was, had massive struggles in pass coverage and depth on pass routes. And I think Al Halliday did as well, as good a season he had. You know, there were depth issues at linebacker that contributed to things. So there's a lot of things. Some of it's teaching, some of it's learning, right? I mean, that one, you know, the one one tweet was it was like, you know, Narduzzi sucks, but so do the players. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, that's not throwing a guy under the bus. I mean, they're, they, they're 130th in pass defense. That's not good. I Last I checked, last is not good when you have 130 teams. Yeah. But, you know, you, you saw what how little depth there was. You saw how, and there are things to build on. There, they were able to get pressure early in the year, and they were able to generate some things in the middle. I think Jacob Slade's as good of an interior guy as you're going to see. He's very powerful. I think Simeon Barrow really came on out of nowhere because I thought it was going to be a year for for Mallory and and Jalen Hunt to kind of explode, and they didn't. They they had injuries that had set them back, and they got kind of leaped a little bit with how Barrow was playing, and again situation where they became vital when Barrow was gone, you know, and down for the, for the last few games. So um, you had that in the front four. Um, I, you didn't have it in the back seven. So that's ultimately, that's why you're seeing them go after Wyndham. You're seeing them go after Brule. Yep. You're seeing them go after those guys and particularly the pass rushers because they know they're losing Beasley and know they're losing Panashuk. So you need a lead pass rusher. You need to get a guy that's going to rush the quarterback. The fact that we didn't see Michael Fletcher much this year tells you kind of what the staff thinks of him, right? I mean, yeah. uh, you would have seen him a lot more. And he's got the prototype size, prototype reach, hasn't been able to see the field. Only coaches can tell you that during practice. Why? You know, because if you aren't practicing well, you're not playing. That's how it goes. And we don't I mean, know. We don't know the stuff yeah. because it's. And I was guilty of this. And I said even at the time I, I was basing it on nothing. But I was a Damian Terry guy. Michigan State fans were Damian yeah. Terry guys. Just because he was four stars, and we liked the idea of a guy that could move a little bit, yeah. and like he was more fun. Like, it, but it was based on nothing really. Uh, you know, I look. You had Damian Terry and Connor Cook. Yeah. Right. What you thought right, Damian Terry was, Connor Cook actually was. Exactly. I mean, Connor Cook has an argument. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but has a valid argument for the best quarterback in Michigan State history. Like whether you put him second or whatever, he's up there. Nobody wanted him. Like they, they didn't dislike him, but Damian Terry was the fan horse. Nobody knows yeah. anything. Look, other than the three-year Letterman, there's not a perfect coach out there. Look, I'm not saying that Scotty Hazelton did everything perfectly, whatever. But I watched every play this year. I don't have the uh, genius football IQ of a Moses Fram. But from what I saw, and we'll finish here, I looked at it not as a schematic issue, as a personnel issue. I, look, I know you talked about it. If, I know you like gray because you're, you're a nuanced guy. I'm more of a black and white guy, Chris. <laughs> Is it more schematics or more personnel? To me, they didn't have the horses. I think Scotty will be just fine. Is it? It's more that than the coaching, I, right? I agree with you right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, time is going to pay out if and play it out and let you see. Are they bringing in the players to do what they want? Now, yeah. 
were you able to do that in 2020? No, because you didn't have a recruiting class. You're still a recruiting class behind. So now you're on your second recruiting class. And I mean, how are these young guys, and particularly the guys that are safeties that they're bringing in to move into the linebacker spot, which is what you need. If you're going to play a 4 you need guys that can cover half the field. You know, you got to be able to go midfield, you know, from, from that one hash to the sideline. You got to go to the other sideline. So those those kind of guys are are essential. They did not have those guys in the program. That was yep. they had guys that were fitting a four three scheme, a three linebacker scheme. Take take one guy away, and you know it's you know you can say all you want about putting that nickel back in there, but primarily when teams are loading up to throw on your cornerbacks, they're going to be in pass coverage. They're not going to be coming down and run support, right? And they're not going to be able to really help those two guys in front of them when the two guys in front of them are too close to the line of scrimmage and passes are getting thrown in front. So everything's symbiotic, right? I I think that you do have to have guys that not only can physically do it, but also understand it. And I do think that you talk about the guys that they brought in. I, I, in some ways, I don't want to say totally give them a pass, but I know they brought Kimbrough in because he had experience in that system. And they brought Ronald Williams in from Alabama because he had experience in that system. There were moments, though, that you saw that those guys have talent. Um, and it's amazing in looking at Moses' tweets, thinking back to that 2012 season, right? Um, you know, that 2012 season, everyone was on the offense. It was the Roshar part. That was the, the fire one Roshar of the best season. defenses in the country. And, you know, when you switch the personnel the next year, look what happened, right? You switch some personnel, you get a new quarterback, you get a new running back. Who remind me, Le'Veon Bell was supposed to be a, a senior on that Rose Bowl team. Yeah, I you know people forget that. And yeah, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately in thinking about Kenneth Walker and you know where Le'Veon Bell was. I mean, to me, Walker was better than Le'Veon Bell, um, and better than Jeremy Langford. But those are first team All Big Ten running backs, right? That did it behind big offensive linemen. But it was just a couple of personnel changes that ended up. You know, you put Cook in there. You, you get a couple of receivers catching the ball now all of a sudden, the same guys that were ball was hitting off their hands with Andrew Maxwell, you, you have a difference. And I think that's kind of going to be the same thing on the defensive side. You know, I, I, I think that between the lack of depth and the injuries, um, those were big reasons because the past defense wasn't good early in the year, but when those things started to mount, that's when it went really south. Well, and this criticism of – Plus oh. you play. Plus you play Bailey Zappi, who throws. I mean, that right. offense is built right. to throw the ball around all the time. They, Purdue built to throw the ball around all the time against your biggest weak spot. Yeah, I mean that was the the, the common criticism of all oh, the bend no break. Why do we give them this big cushion? You, you think I like that shit? I don't like it either. But the reason they did that was out of pure necessity because if they didn't, they were going to get absolutely toasted. I stand with Scott Hazelton, and look, I am not like. I mean, no offense, I'm good friends with Brian Masalam. Brian Massam won't say a bad word about anyone ever because he's a great, you know, soldier, he's a great Spartan, great guy. Love Brian. I'll tell you if I don't like a guy. Like, I just, for better or worse, I like Scott Hazleton. I don't see it as a schematic issue at all. So I will, we'll end it there other than the speed. I, I will, you know what? One thing I will leave it with is yeah, I, leave it this there. is where I think the, the bowl game is critical for this team and this program right now. Really? I do. I, I view it as I do because I think, I think this is going to be the first chance you get to see of who's next. They were playing for those 10 wins. They were playing for a Big Ten title. Yeah. You really didn't see many depth guys. You didn't see any of the younger guys. 
this is as much about getting 11 wins and beating Pitt and winning the Peach Bowl as it is about giving some getting like like Mark Staten used to say, getting some guys soaked. You got to get those guys ready for next year. And how else are you going to do it? Because the spring ball may not do that. It'll do it some, but you get them some reps like Connor Cook got in the Alamo Bowl that or not the Alamo Bowl, the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl right. that year. Yeah, you know, comes in off the bench and save the game. You know, the, you know who got soaked in the Alamo Bowl? Keith Nickel at wide receiver. Yeah. You know, this Blair White, I remember, I think it was in one of the bowl games that Cousins Thurman was at the, uh, I don't remember which game it was, but everyone was like, who's he throwing to in this? Who's this Blair White guy? Next year, he's running down the field for a touchdown in the Michigan game, and people yeah. knew who he was then. Oh, so, I mean, this is, this is to me kind of, partly a closing of a chapter and partly opening of what might be next. And you want to have a gr- good showing as much as you want to get the win. I'm game. with you on the intrigue standpoint. I mean, obviously you want to win. I, the stakes really you hit your 10 wins already. Pickett may not even play. It's, eh. Walker mean, might not play. Walker yeah. might not play. I want him to win, but if from the intrigue, st- intrigue standpoint, seeing what guys can do, getting their beaks wet, I'm, I'm with you on that aspect in terms of the relevance of winning or not. I mean, relatively low. You want to win every game. You know what? This, this season was one of the more compelling seasons I've ever covered in any sport because of the unknowns. Yeah. And it was fascinating from that first touch from Walker at the Northwestern on, fascinating to kind of watch it grow and evolve because you know how Michigan State sees sometimes false hope, false promise. You know, all so things, all things said, they delivered. Yeah, they delivered this year. Oh, over, over delivered. I was, I had the the parade ready for six and six. I was, I said yeah. if they go, and I, I lied because I'm not going to the bowl game. But I said <laughs> if they go six and six, like I will clear my schedule to go to that bowl game, and I'm going to treat that that you know uh, whatever like left elbow dot com bowl, <laughs> like it's the the Rose Bowl in 2013. Like uh, you know I. I Ended up lying, but um, I had no expectations for anything. I would, I would have been thrilled with that. You see how quick it can pull you back. The winning can pull you back into where you were just five years ago. Right? Well, that's what people are doing it's with this recent. Hazelton thing. The the idea of yeah. firing anybody on the staff. And by the way, Mel Tucker is the opposite of Mark D'Antonio. There is no loyalty to a fault here. Uh, look, I'm not going to name names, but there's one member of the non-football football staff, like not football related, but member of the football staff that they blew out of there because they didn't like what he or she was doing there. Like just not that they did anything wrong or inappropriate or criminal or they weren't stealing from the office. (laughs) I don't mean like that, but they did not like the job that the person was doing. They got that person out. And, and, And Mel Tucker really liked this person. And I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. I'll tell you off the air, maybe. <laughs> but but yeah, I don't want to do it on camera. But the, he's like that. He doesn't care. And he openly says, look, what was uh, Connor, Connor Hayward said his line was, um, it's a play to stay, I think it was. Like, it's with everything. Yeah. If you don't do your job, you're gone. Mel Tucker, if Mel Tucker, who I think we can agree at this point deserves the benefit of the doubt, you're with him whether you like him, like it or not. I like it. Mel Tucker, Scotty Hazelson fucking up not doing a good job mel tucker will take care of it don't worry about that part what's he say trust the process All that that's too. part of the process when you're in charge of the process that's kind of part of the process i like scotty i'm gonna be doing a victory you know, lap very soon the I other feel. thing you you mentioned it earlier what was it how did you put it you you put that uh the development isn't linear or progress well isn't progress linear. isn't linear but progress isn't linear but i think something tucker said is remained to that that 
he is in a binary business, one or zero, right? Yeah. Win or loss. It's, you know, more points or less points. I mean, it's, it's, it's the dichotomy of that is, is fascinating because if you win, you're going to be heralded. If you do have that seven and five season, even you might even have more progress. You might be, you might have that 2012 season where you're building to something even bigger in, in the following year. Yeah. Right. But you still are going to have people saying hire Pat Narduzzi. I, I, I do it in pockets. This is how I look at it. I look in three year pockets. Yeah. Because you're not going to be linear. I want my expectations for Michigan State. What I need to be happy is a bare minimum. I want more. But it's a bare minimum where I'm not asking for anybody to be fired or rolled out of town. I want them to be playing to go to Indy in the last one or two games of the year where they have a chance to play themselves into Indy. They control their own destiny. Don't need any help at least once every three years. That's like the bare, bare minimum. Ideally, they're in Indianapolis once every three years. But if they're like on the doorstep once or twice and lose by a touchdown on the road to go to Indy, I'm not going to be like, get rid of Tucker. Like, I'll be happy with where we're at generally. Not with the outcome, but with where we are. Well, look at where it's been since 16, right? Or since 15, right? Yeah. College football playoff, right? Losing season in that spot late in the year with a chance to go to Indy. Seven and six, seven and six, two and five. Chance to go to Indy. Yeah. So, I mean, that... People don't, there's a continuum that I think has, has been going on in some ways. This is part of that continuum, but that's not what Tucker wants to do. And he's been pretty clear about that. He wants to take that next step. And I think that's where, I don't think D'Antonio's program got stale. I think it's stagnated. I think the talent was there. I think that the ideas maybe got a little, not just stale probably isn't the I right like word. It, I it, like stale is the word. Stale, I think I mean, that's very apropos. I, I I think it's less about that. I think it got repetitive. If that's if that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the a lot of the things that were being done were being done for the thirteenth time in a row. A lot of the things that were being heard were sound bites that were maybe rearranged a little bit ten years earlier, right? Tucker brings some new energy with that. Yeah. You know, and he I mean you know, I think I think there's a kind of a no bullshit with him attitude, you know, and it's, you know, now we'll see. I mean, again, it's still a small sample size. You're talking about two years at Michigan State and one year at Colorado. It, it you can talk the talk, but then you got to also produce. He produced above and beyond this year. Now, what's the expectation? What's it? less less about a seven win season next year? What about an eight win season? That's kind of that's kind of purgatory coming off this. Yeah, I you know seven wins is a step back. Eight wins. There's some are tough you, ones on that schedule. I mean, to yeah. me, eight wins. I I look. Do I want more than eight wins? Of course. I'm not gonna be like pissed if they win eight games. Like, I I just not like. I I want to be in Indianapolis within the next three years. Like you, you're one of those three years being next year. Like that that to me because I think at this point that's has to be the has to be the expectation because that's what you're paying for. You're paying at the top level, the investments there in terms of facilities. We're paying at a level that we should be asking for it every year. I'm not even going there. I think that's crazy, especially when you're in the same division as OSU and, and Michigan, who seems to be certainly off the mat at this point. But once it's farther than that, I, they've, they've, that was a nice bounce back year. And the talent's the, always been there and it's oh, finding yeah. some. If you can keep that, that staff intact, which is going to be harder than probably people realize, 
that ultimately is going to be, if you can keep, I mean, what did D'Antonio preach about and, and build his success on? Continuity. Continuity. Yeah. I mean, you can't roll, roll through coaches, coordinators, um, recruiting guys. Nick Saban. Nick I mean, Saban does. Unless you're Nick Saban, who's, yeah. who built that. You're, you're, if you're not a, a manager of people who pushing people out of the nest quickly to keep things fresh, keep things fresh. That's where I think Tucker gets it from yeah. a little bit more. Um, and I, but I do think that, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. It, I think that eight wins is going to be an interesting benchmark because I think if you fall below it, there's going to be some disappointment and frustration. If you hit it, is, is the eight win season, the new seven and five or seven and six? I don't know. I mean, coming off of this year, I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be a hard barometer to see. We don't know who's going to be there. That's exactly it. Yeah, that and that's going to that's going to be a real fascinating thing in college football and basketball all the way across the board. Is are these resets hard resets going to be like this in perpetuity? I don't know. More so than I asked. I asked Tucker today about this because I had heard rumblings that I know administrators aren't happy with the early signing day because they they think it accelerated everything with the coaching searches and the ridiculous amounts of money and they want to stem it. Um, I don't think the coaches, some of the coaches you've heard aren't happy with it because of those reasons and because they're being forced to make decisions. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what plays out in mid to late January at the coaches meetings and how those conversations come out. He didn't really know. He said, I haven't really talked to many of my peers about that, but I, I think that's, there's uh, the world in college football has changed dramatically. Tucker's equipped for it because he came from the NFL and he's talked a lot about the NFL free agency model and how he's kind of taken and putting that approach to what they're doing with the portal in some ways. The only difference, he, he, one of the things I thought it was fascinating or he said today is in the NFL, you're, you've got an intern, you know, you've got a college scouting division and a pro scouting division. In the pros, you know who's going to be a free agent that next year. In colleges with the portal, you have no idea who's going to show up. Yeah, that's so it, you, you know, can just read the expiring contracts. List. But but he's also looking at it in a different way than someone who's been a college coach their entire life, like Mark D'Antonio would. I, t- I actually talked to Alan True too, and he talked about. Um, we, we talked a little bit this after, this late this evening about how both of the philosophies in recruiting that D'Antonio had with going against going to Ohio and getting some of those kids and Tucker's going more national approach, how, how you can win with both of those things. And that's, listen, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can win with Syracuse's zone defense and you can win with Tom Izzo's gap defense. You can win with, you know, Nolan Richardson's 40 minutes of man to man. If you do it right, and you have the right personnel. Yeah. Tucker said it. Go. What makes a good coach? Good players. Yeah. Need the horses. And poor Scotty did not have the horses. But let's get to the speed round. Plenty more Michigan State. You have a Michigan State-centric speed round. So let's hit it, Ben. Let's get to it. I'll tell you what, Chris. I mean, honestly, the speed round is always my favorite to prep because it's fun and kind of light and simple. But we'll start here. A little bit lighter. Nicest Spartan you've covered. Nothing to do with uh, how good they were. It could have been the 12th guy on the basketball team. Who's, who's just the best guy? You've been on the beat a long time. That, there, there are quite a bit of them. Um, they're jerks, too, just like in every other walk. But I, I we'll think the, <laughs> I think Cassius Winston. I mean, because from day one, he's genuine and he was interested. Kenny, as I look at Kenny Goins, Kenny Goins was right there uh, among those. But Miles Bridges had, I mean, I think, 
Miles Bridges, his freshman year, was trending towards that, but the weight of the world was on Miles Bridges' his sophomore, and he kind of reclused a little bit. Uh, compared to Josh Langford is right there. Um, I'm trying to think of some of those other guys, like Benny Fowler is a guy that that you put in that camp. Uh, Darquez Denard, I think, was one of those guys, but probably Cash Winston. That's a good one. And the the yin to the yang, not necessarily an asshole, but the most difficult Spartan you've covered. It could have been they were a jerk. It could have been they had no time for the media. They didn't like you, whatever, however it manifested. Toughest cover for you. That's a tough one. Um, I I think Adrian Payne and Keith Appling had some of that. They didn't really want to be bothered, um, which is fascinating because most Izzo players aren't necessarily like that. you would think a guy like Nick Ward would have been like that because of how gregarious he was, but he was a goofy dude who was fun to be around. I, he was, he was actually a joy to cover who got much better with the media uh, over time. Like even Denzel Valentine had moments. Uh, I know in talking to Rex road where they were like, dude, you gotta not be such a jerk. And he kind of emerged from that, but you know, pain and appling a little bit. Um, I think some Connor Cook in there. Um, going back to the other side of it, generally, it's you, you hear this about hockey players. Hockey players and NASCAR drivers are the greatest dudes, right? Um, I think the same can kind of go for offensive linemen in football. Like you want a good quote, the offensive linemen is where you go. They're they're the brains. Um, but ah man, who else would have been in that camp? Someone else mentioned pain on this show when I asked the same question. I can't. I don't want to say the wrong person. Cook, who said Cook it. definitely was was difficult. Uh, I, yeah, he, he uh, was he was prickly. Um, not I, a, I wouldn't say a prick. He was a little prickly. Uh, um, not a cook guy as a person uh, from my interactions with him. Like I just not that he did anything terrible, but it's just not my not my cup of tea as a guy. Yeah. Um. Th- but. Uh, the jerks really have been few and far between. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, like I said, Izzo runs a pretty open thing that, it, you know, if more coaches would ascribe to that, there would be a lot less friction. Yeah. I you have know, a- you got to answer for your, your things. That's why, I, I mean, we always kind of go back to the game at Rutgers where Nick Ward ended up on the bench and was kind of staring off into nothingness, and it looked like, oh, man, Nick Ward in a doghouse, really something fierce. And, you know, in the locker room afterward, he was about ready to explode and, you know, kind of said there was only like three of us there. And he's like, listen, here's what happened. And he kind of got cut off. That was the first time I ever saw that. That but and Max Carey grab him by the someone <laughs> someone someone snuck in and, and shut things down. That's yeah. all I'll say with that. Did their job. But. Uh, you know, for the most part, those guys have always talked and answered the questions and understood the role. I, Izzo does a good job of that, you know. He also, he, he lets them go, too. You know, that was the one and only time that I can remember that ever happening. Um, and I think it was more for not letting him say something that he would regret. I, I my, my one Denzel Valentine story, because you mentioned him, he was very cool with me, a great guy when I met him the one time. He was selling uh, some of his Michigan State gear right after he graduated. And it was, you know, like a couple weeks after the Middle Tennessee State game. It was a different story. Uh, this is before the Players Trunk, which is now a great website yeah. that sells this stuff. This is more Renegade. 
So <laughs> I, I contact Denzel, you know, we had a mutual friend, whatever. I'm like, Hey, I'm interested in buying like any jerseys, you know, if you have one game or Jersey and whatever practice, you're a big fan of yours, whatever. So he goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. I go, what do you got? He goes, hold on 10 minutes. I'll send you a picture of everything I got. Guy sends me a picture of a giant pile of what looked like dirty laundry. <laughs> it was a pie. I still have the picture somewhere. I sent it to like my group chat. I said, like, what do you have? Like, is it six pairs of shorts, two pairs of shoes or whatever? So I, I said, Hey man, like, I appreciate the picture. I can't make out what's in there. Like, can you send it? Like, can you kind of lay it out and send it a different angle? So he, it looked like he just, he sent another one. It looked like he just kicked over the pile. <laughs> so it's still, it's just like a slightly less steep hill. <laughs> of strewn clothes. You can't make out what's what. And I'm like, dude, can I just like meet you and, you know, maybe lay it all out. We'll kind of see what, what you got and whatever. But I ended up meeting him at the Somerset parking lot in uh, Troy, Michigan, about 20 minutes from the studio here and uh, meeting in the parking lot. He's got his girlfriend there or whatever. And I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, let's see what you got. He, he brings out a garbage bag. And, and like drops it in my trunk and just like shakes it out. And his clothes are all over the place. I don't oh think he washed some of that stuff because it was like a smell emanating. But he's got his game worn jersey like crinkled up. And I'm like, which, you know, we got it ironed out. I ended up giving it to my brother, but it's as a Christmas gift. But he signed That's it. And stuff. But it's just, yeah, that was my, he was great. Like he was, a, he was a great guy. I'm not like criticizing, but it was yeah. funny. It's like, I, I, can you tell, can you itemize this list, sir? And it's just a <laughs> pile of clothes. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think back a little bit even farther i mean you know were there any guys um there had to have been one guy that you're protecting though no i'm really not um <laughs> that was just a huge prick i and this is before, way before your time but I, i've heard tony mandrich was a huge i've, I've heard that too yeah. actually uh, people good, that covered him a good friend of mine actually wrote the behind the cream curtain book oh and, that'd be interesting yeah. He's a, yeah, he's, he's a gross point guy who lives out in South Dakota now. I worked with him for about six years. Um, but then I know they interviewed Mandarich a bunch of times and I don't think Mandarich and I know Pearls didn't like him. Pearls yeah. would be prickly. Um, you know, I, I, I had, you know, one, one dust up with Saban when I was in college. Um, I don't think if there's any, but I mean, for the most part, you know, you, you, you know, from a player standpoint, they're usually, you know, it, it's weird because it's like just dudes, right? And, yeah. you know, but you are the media. Yeah. So it's it's a fascinating look, but I don't feel like there's really been, like I said, those other guys were the ones. And it wasn't there, like there was anything horrible where it was just like, man, these guys are jerks, you know. Cook at times could be borderline. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm trying not to but even the guys, like even the guys where you think that they might be, they, they mostly comported themselves pretty well and, you know, didn't really let it all out. Uh, yeah. I mean, Malik, I, I'll tell you, I will say this. Malik McDowell was very standoffish. Oh, I, I believe that. that. <laughs> I absolutely that's, believe that's, that. That's another one that I would put in there. Yeah. Um, His not that he was not fun. I don't believe he was a jerk, but he went out of his way to not give a damn. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. And that, he speaking of signing day, that was probably the most famous yeah. signing day in the last ten years for Michigan State. Anyway, how how that went down with his mom, and he was what seventeen. She refused yeah. to sign it. That was a whole other ordeal. All right. All right. Moving on. Speed round. Tom Izzo. We talked about it a little bit. Tom Izzo's Twitter stance, and for the two people watching this show that don't know, because most people do in this audience, 
Tommy Wiseau hates Twitter. He openly hates it. He says if he could enforce it, he would have none of his players on it. It's bad. He recently mentioned Joey Hauser being influenced negatively by this stuff, by toxicity. We mentioned a little bit in passing. Your position on Tom Izzo's position, uh, what do you make of this? Like, Do you, do you think it's essentially uh, bad for players to even be on there? Do you agree with Tom? I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how with NIL, because that's an ultimate medium. You have to kind of have that. You know, I mean, guys are getting paid to tweet. We, I, trust me, I get notifications on it every time they do, you know. Ishpia's yeah. company's giving them the money. They're they're tweeting about it, and they're night at the bar or whatever. You know, yeah. pizza night. Um, I you know I do. I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Yeah, there's there's definitely toxicity in social media, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Twitter. We all know that. Anybody who's who's been on any sort of social media app knows that. Um, but you know what I said earlier as well is the anonymity factor. It's you know our problem. It's the comment section, all those things, you know, I mean, there are guys that seek it out, you know, for motivation, for anger, for validation. So there's a lot of things that go on with it, but some of the things that they find, you know, again, open Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to find. You might find validation. You might find motivation, but you also might find someone that says something about your mother. Yeah. I, it, it, people go there. I, my family's been attacked. My family uh, doesn't have a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. None of the that, mem- <laughs> message boards as well. Yeah. I mean, it, believe me, that's, I, I've heard something that about my family well, I, that was I mentioned. And believe, I believe it. Trust me. It's, you know, I, I think these players, people, that, that, but that's part of the thing where people don't know what else is going on. Right. That's, or that's they don't true. care. It's, there are people on social media that aren't trying to be human. And, you know, how do you tell a, a 20 year old kid that? How do you explain that to them? No, I, even can't. though they, yeah, even though they grew up in that, you know, someone is literally out there trying to make you feel worse than you ever felt in your life. You got to go the Bill Maher, Joe Rogan, Skip Bayless route where you have the account, but you don't get your mentions. That's what those guys do. They never, you never see those guys reply to anybody. Yeah. That's the way to go. Like, tweet, be out there, do United Wholesale Mortgage tweets. That's fine. Don't look at your mentions. It sucks, but that's just the reality. I'm almost at that point now, and I'm I'm one percent the big of a deal of a guy, the six man on Michigan State's basketball team. It's also a, a disconnect though between Izzo's age, our our age groups, and these kids who, I mean, what if you're in college right now, and let's say you're, let's say you're a junior, so you're 21 years old, right? Um, 2000, you were born. Twitter came out in what, 2007? Yeah, 07 or 08, yeah. So think about it. Facebook had been around, it's about it public at that point. Yep. So your entire life has played out in those, those realms. It's a little different for, for those kids. You know, it, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I agree with Izzo about the toxicity of it. I do. Um, but how do you maximize the use and minimize the damage. These these programs, maybe they do. Yeah. I don't know. These programs need like entire symposiums on this and how to deal with it, in my opinion, if they don't already. Yeah, if they aren't gonna yeah. if they aren't gonna require validation, 
then, you know, what else do you do? Yeah, I'm with you. But, so moving on, um, when we had John U. Bacon in here a couple of weeks ago, he talked about having his press credential <laughs> pulled by the University of Michigan, specifically at the direction of then AD David Brandon. Uh, had Bacon's credential pulled. I asked Bacon why. He still isn't exactly sure why. He was saying some things mildly critical of Michigan, nothing scathing. He doesn't know what specific thing it was, but they yanked it. Your experience generally, I know there have been turnovers with administrations, different ADs at this point that you've covered, what, at least three now, right? Oh, I mean, boy. five? Athletic like, directors? Pre-Hollis was... Um, Let's see. I, I started covering the school when Marilee Dean was there. I was there for Merritt. Um, yeah, you do I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I missed pretty much all of Underwood, but came back when... Mason was there, but I covered Mason as a coach, so I knew him pretty well. You've, you've been, you've, so yeah, you've run the game. Everyone since then. So. Your general experience, and maybe it has different with different people, but have you ever had that what John Bacon experienced at Michigan, where it's like you write something not so glowing, and you, you get a text from someone in the administration, or you hear from a friend of a friend of a friend that knows the AD or the assistant AD. Oh, I'm pissed at Solari today. Have they been? Uh, exerting pressure on you at any point in your long history covering them? Have they been easy, difficult to work with, more neutral? Where do you land? Pissed, yeah. <laughs> We've all had those pissed conversations with one person or another over there. Okay. So but not to that players. not to that extent with pulling a credential, you know. There there's definite back and forth that we have. Um and sometimes they're in the right. Sometimes. <laughs> occasionally. Once or twice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do think that there's a discourse that goes on, um, which I think is it, it. it's good. It's an interesting working relationship because, you know, you don't want to be adversarial. I've known a lot of these people for 20 th- plus years, you know, but the inherent nature of the job is going to cause friction at times because sometimes what we do isn't what they want to put their public face out there as. Doesn't mean it's not reality or what's going on. Yeah. Um, which is what leads often to that friction. But at the same point, they also, if you, this is where relationships are important. I think, um, if they know and understand that you're not out there trying to be a grave digger, you're not out there trying to write hit pieces. You're not out there trying to do these things. Sometimes they come off like that, but that doesn't mean that's what you're doing. Yeah. So there's no agenda. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think that for the most part, there might be some screaming matches here and there, but that doesn't necessarily take away from the fact that they understand we're doing a job. Is is really good about that. Um, understanding that we have, he tells his players, we have, they have a job to do. They have bosses. Their bosses are probably jerks like me in, too. You've said it. Have you been screaming matches though? Yeah. Give me one screaming match story, even if you don't name the person you that. What was the article that elicited a screaming match? I, I can tell you, I had, and I won't tell you the person, but I had an hour plus screaming match with someone about after ESPN, uh, the ESPN stories the previous year um, with the basketball and football programs. A year later, ESPN Game Day came back to a basketball game against Indiana. I had a screaming match with a person for an hour and then another screaming match with the same person about 15 minutes later for another half hour. About what, though? With, about, about writing the fact that 
it's the first time that they've come back since just acknowledging that yeah. was that that person was wrong then because that's noteworthy. It 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 is, um, but it's you know that's you have that re- that back and forth sometimes. Yeah, I mean that's it's a weird grievance though. I would have thought it'd be something. Uh, like, there's lots of them. They, they yeah. shouldn't say lots. There's there are occasionally bumps, and believe me, there's um, bad intel I got one time. Um, half intel I should say. Yeah. Um, about the defensive, the offensive staff, I think, got broomed in, uh, in the, the changeover in the coaches. And then I think uh, Burton, Ron Burton was on his way out the door and Mel Tucker kept him. And he kept, um, uh, he kept Mike Tressel on as well. But a source that I had, again, it was someone who had knowledge that I asked all the coaches gone. Yeah. Yeah. It was a source I wouldn't have trusted. I, I had a screaming match with someone about this exact thing. I said, I wouldn't trust a source that wasn't in the room for something like that. Yeah. And what it ultimately was, was the offensive coaches were all gone. You know, so it's, it happened to me with Brad Ausmus and the Tigers, man. Uh, Mike Illich said he's gone. Then Mike Illich was uh, in a bed at a Beaumont hospital and his son, Chris Illich, who's now taking over, but was at the time interim taking over. Uh, talked him out of it and and said like, look, we're we're not going to pay him. We're we're keeping office. We want to give him one more year. So that one blew up. And of course, uh, you guys freep reported it after me. Uh, I was on WDIV, so I wasn't the only. I was the first. I wasn't the only one. Sometimes yeah. they do change their minds. Stuff right. happens. I that, mean, they, that's what happened with the Tigers. I, you know? The same thing happened yeah. with the interim athletic director situation. With uh, Beatman. Same thing happened with that. What was, what I was had there? very highly placed sources within in, in the school telling me that it was going to be Greg Ayani. Oh. Wouldn't have written it if it wasn't. That was the day that John Engler was named interim president. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of a Funny how era. things changed okay. over a weekend under John Engler as interim president. That was a fun year with John Engler up there. It's like every every other day in the news we're, uh, we're on the front page for Engler dressing down some student, you know, telling her her time. You, do you understand what my, my time on his beat has been taking, <laughs> taking over for Rex road in August of 2016 coming off the college football playoff yeah. and the unbelievable basketball season that ended with the middle Tennessee state game. You've, you've run the gamut. You were there 16. From- I got the three and nine season. Yeah. Then the Corley King advance situation yep. in the off season. And, you know, all the, the, I mean, it was an okay basketball season with bridges and, and uh, Winston in the freshman year. Syracuse. Then all the craziness that happened coming off the Corley King advance situation with Austin Robertson, with yep. all the stuff that went down with that. And then, uh, by the way, the first week I forgot the, fr- the first week, that I was on the job was when the Larry Nasser story broke. <laughs> Welcome to the beat, sir. I mean, you know, talk about the low point. I, I had I had to call Jordan Weber's mom because I had done a story on her that summer in Lansing. You're you're like, I mean, you're, getting, was, you're buying cars when coaches are yeah. hiring, and <laughs> you're, the, you're believe me, it's Nassar. a matter of wonderful timing. Yeah, you, you have um, impeccable timing. But I mean, you know, there, then you think about that whole eighteen season. ESPN chasing Izzo down the hallway in Maryland, which was surreal. And I'm just like, I'm trying to keep up to make sure I don't miss whatever he's saying. Yeah. 
Um, because I, you know, you realize in a moment that this is a moment sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, that was, then there was the Miles Bridges getting tied into the NCAA investigation yeah, story, which, you know, you, you touch down in Wisconsin and all of a sudden on a Friday or whatever it was, and you hear, oh, Bridges got roped into this, or someone called me in the morning and they're like, Bridges got roped into this, you know, you need to be on this. And I was like, like five in the morning, someone reached out to me. I'm like, oh my God. So, so yeah, then all of that. And then, you know, the athletic director, this year in alone, you had the athletic director search, you know, resign, Beekman resigns the first week of the season. You're dealing with all that. Yeah, better than boring, man. You imagine covering the Detroit Tigers beat for the last five years. Painful. I don't know how these guys do it. I, I feel bad for like, if you love baseball, you do that. I would uh, 10, 15 years ago, that would have been a dream. I love that would baseball. have been an ideal I dream. Would, I could do it for a year, two years, three years, five years of that shit. No, thanks. Yeah. I'm good. I mean, and that's, and that's the yeah. thing is like, you know, I try and explain this to the younger guys that come along on the beat in having been on campus and around for the Merrily Dean stuff, the perilous firing, the perilous lawsuit, the, all the craziness that seems to f- follow Michigan State. Um, you know, I, I try to tell them, I said, that, that 10-year window with Hollis, D'Antonio, uh, Luana Simon, that's, that's, that's the outlier in the last it was, 50, it was 60 Camelot. years. It was It's the outlier in what the last 50 to 60 years were because there's been so much turbulence. There's the Perlis DiBiagio stuff and, you know, Perlis getting fired and then, McPherson doing all the stuff with Saban and just, you know, there, there's always going to be those kind of things that are in any beat that you cover, but they somehow seem to magnify, be magnified and multiplied at Michigan state sometimes. And it's, that's where people think, well, you're being negative. No, that's, these are things that have happened. Now yeah, you're being negative about the Larry Nasser thing. Right, well, the Nasser thing, do you want the Nasser thing this? is a whole other thing. That is a whole other thing that we wouldn't have time to really go into because I, you know, and it's also probably a little bit out of my expertise because our cops and court reporters did a lot of that stuff um, that went well beyond just MSU. I mean, USAG and the local community. I can tell you this, like in Lansing, the, you know, his, you know, the, the gym that John Getter ran that was the Olympic coach for Jordan Weaver who killed himself that Nasser was involved with. Um, they, they've pretty much closed down the other gymnast gymnastics places that had nothing to do with either of them. There's been a loss of interest in that. So the place where my, my, one of my, my oldest daughter went uh, for one, one season, she kind of went and really enjoyed it. They shut down because they didn't have the, the clientele anymore because of this, you it know, poisoned the whole yeah. well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a whole other thing, like I said, that goes just simply beyond just the Michigan State stuff. Well, let's go something a little less controversial. My good friend, who was here in July, Anthony Russo, second to last one, Chris, you're almost done. <laughs> the, the Russo thing, look, I said I was on Team Russo in the offseason, but I also put the qualifier on that. I invited Thorne and Russo to my house for the Jalen Watch Jackson painting <laughs> unveiling. And Russo enthusiastically attended, and Thorne didn't respond. So it was based <laughs> entirely on that, nothing else. Oh, man. And I loved both guys. But just curious on Russo as, as he's about to you know, leave at this point. Was he uh, – I'm sure he was when he was being pitched to come. But was he ever really in this 
neck and neck race with Thorne because I've heard from people I trust two completely different things. One guy said, look, within two weeks of him getting here, he was fine, had a big arm. Thorne was the guy all along. And then I heard another guy also who I trust that said he really thought it was neck and neck in August. Where do you land on this? I really thought after that Penn State game that it would be Thorne. But I also think the conversations were happening with Russo right around that point because it was pretty shortly after the season last year where he ended up transferring. Um, And, you know, that was before Lombardi left and everything else that transpired. Um, But I had heard the the thing that I had heard from inside the program were a guy that, you know, had given me nothing but intel, good intel over the years. Um, He saw the uh, Peyton Thorne's freshman year, true freshman year. He saw him in one of the scrimmages and he said, that kid looks like a young Drew Brees. So that was always in the back of my mind. He said, he looks young, you know, he's making some mistakes, but he, you know, you can see the it with him. Right. Uh, you know, I think you knew what Russo was going to be. I don't think you knew what Thorne was going to be. And I don't think you knew because he couldn't overcome I, what I had heard a year ago, what ultimately kept him behind Lombardi was his pension for throwing interceptions in practice. And that proved the problem. Um, the competition he couldn't overcome with Lombardi. Think about that. I mean, Lombardi <laughs> threw a lot of interceptions. Um, but I think that Penn State game kind of gave the coaches a little bit of an idea of like, oh, he's one of those guys when the lights come on, he takes it to a different level. And I think you, I think when the competition came in this year, I think being a coach's kid, I think it, it kind of set him off. But I do think Russo had a, has a good skill set. I really do. I, I think that, big arm. I, I think that there there was a ceiling on Thorne that Russo didn't have as a six year guy who pretty much you know what the tape is. You know, I do think they probably were neck and neck, but I also think that there were some things that Thorne could do and did do that they didn't know they wouldn't know until they get they got rolled the ball out and started playing i thought thorne had such a great progression because i was saying early in the year man these deep shots like that he can't hit that back shoulder and obviously they had flea flickers where guys are streaking reads open by 20 yards i could hit that throw at least half (laughs) but you know if a guy's wide open i can loft it up there but like the tough over the shoulder contested it was very shaky by the end of the year, he was doing it. I mean, it's incredible for What the interesting thing was, he wasn't just doing it with Jaden Reed. Because I, yeah, listen, I said that a year ago. I said, you know, and I heard that from some, I, I'm trying to remember. I think I heard it from Lewerke of how they were working as the scout team. And, and who, Xavier Henderson talked about that not too long ago. He said, boy, when they were on a scout team, we hated them because they were whooping our ass. They, you know, with Thorne and Reed because they had that connection. I mean, they weren't running Michigan State's offense. They were running the opposing team's offense. But when you got a connection like that, that is, you know, you know where your guy's going to be. I think where where he made his progression was with Naylor. Um, I think there were a lot of plays that he threw. Some of those those back shoulder throws to Naylor were almost as good as the ones that he threw to to Reed and Mosley as well. I think there was at least one with Mosley where he's putting the ball where – just so I think he's got a feel for the receivers. I think that that was maybe one of those things that he kind of had to develop that as a quarterback, but he already had it with Reed. So again, another one of those situations. If you want the ball, you got to develop that connection as a receiver. 
So the other guys started developing with him. So I think it was a symbiotic, symbiotic thing with that. Um, and, and I wouldn't listen. So we were talking earlier about guys being jerks. This is kind of an aside on this. Um, I got into a shouting match with, I shouldn't kid you. I got shouted at by Connor Hayward. Oh, a couple my, of years my ago. buddy. That's my buddy. And this was before, Connor's this the was the week, this was like the week or two before he entered the transfer portal. Yeah. And I think it was because I wrote that, you know, he basically, you know, didn't really have the vision of the running back because he, and I, I was staunch about that all along. This, you watch that dude on some of those uh, slant routes that they were flanking him out. And you, anybody who saw that was like, this dude can catch pass better than anybody else on the team. He was the best hands on the team. And they did not know how to use him. Um, and so he, you know, I, I was like, man, like, cause I never had a bad problem with him either. And I think he's a very passionate dude. And I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to say that because I think that his season this year was as much about him as about the coaching staff, um, kind of seeing and identifying the fact that, Hey, this dude can catch a ball. Let's throw it to him. Let's put him at tight end. Maybe that's a good idea. Great blocker, too. That's the other Elite thing. blocker. If you watched his dad play, which, like I said, I was able to watch him growing up. Um, he ran with power, but he ran over dudes. And that's what you saw with Connor Hayward as a blocker. I think he's, and I said this all along, he's a football player. He's trapped in a six-foot body. Um, you know, he's, he, he, used to, he talked about having those Hayward genes. Um, but the talent was always there and, you know, he, he kind of was on me a little like last year when I put my pre post draft look ahead to the next year, I think I, I, I accidentally left him off, but you know, there was, he was always, he was a tweener. He's like, I, I, I said this about him a couple months ago. He was, he's like Draymond Green, right? Yeah. Draymond Green was a hell of a basketball player, but no one knew where he was going to fit. And he, I, I sat at his draft party in Saginaw and watched him slip and watched that draft party start to dissolve and get nervous and him slip out the back door. Is there a reason he went to the, in the second um, round? Right. And he found a place that maximized his talents. I think Connor Hayward is going to be that guy at the next level because yeah, he is such, I mean, he is a football player's football player. And I can't give a guy a better compliment than that. And he's a good dude, and I think he's handled things very well. So yeah, I mean, I I admit I'm like very biased. Even before I met him, and you know, became uh, a fan of him on a personal level, just the way how hard he runs, you know, I just I all the things you said, just plays his ass off. He was trucking guys in that first Northwestern game, the blocking, how tenacious he is. Uh, he's one of my favorite Spartans to come through in ten years. There's, I mean, there's things that you wonder. It's like if he would have only focused on running back growing up instead of playing quarterback, playing receiver, all those things, you know, yeah. would he have had that, that innate vision to be more like Kenneth Walker? Or if he would have, you know, if, if they would have had a better line or if LJ Scott would have stayed healthy that year yeah. when he was forced into action, would his progression have been different? But I mean, the kid had a, a fantastic senior year so far this year. Yeah, they don't. They don't beat Michigan without him. That big catch in traffic, yeah. third and eight, extended the drive. Ended up, uh, at, was it tying it? I think that was. Might not have beat Nebraska without him on that one where he trucked that dude. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He. I mean, he. I, I. I laid it out on Twitter the other day, a week or so ago. I'm like, that guy was worth two wins this year. Like he had yeah. huge roles in two of the wins at least. So he flipped two games himself. 
Yeah, I love Hayward. We'll finish here. We talked about the Antonio versus Tucker style recruiting, all that. Put a button on this whole thing in terms of a reporter. Your uh, Chris Solari is the reporter covering these guys. The experience is one easier to handle than the other from a media perspective. Uh, how they treated you? What's your experience? There? Say that again. I'm just just, just I want to make sure I got the question. Right. Your who who uh, was the easier cover as a reporter, and, and who sort of treated you better, or what was the difference there? You know, if there wasn't it, it, I think the book's still out on Tucker. Um, and I have said this. I think I think there is more. Izzo in Mel Tucker and how he approaches things, and there is D'Antonio and how Mel Tucker approaches things. I think he's got an understanding of the media and its role. I think D'Antonio at times would have been content just worrying about football. I don't think it was just the media. I think it's the donors. I think it was all the other things that go into it. Yes. Um, they're just markedly different people. Um you know, I had I had one issue with D'Antonio, and we talked about it, and we moved on from it. Um, you know, I had one issue with Tucker, talked to him, and you know, we we it was a cordial, you know, quick deal. It yeah. was, but it was you know, it wasn't anything that was bad. It was just one of those things. Like, what's this? And they're like, this. And he's like, okay, and you know, yeah, more but D'Antonio thing was a little bit more of an issue at that point, but. Um, you know, that's, and, and I think that there were roadblocks being put up by the previous staff, by some of the things that happened again, you know, what happens when, if something happens, not if it, it's when you've got a hundred, some, you know, 18 to 20 something year olds in a town full of 40, 50,000, 18 to 20 something year olds stuff happens. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've been around college enough. You've been around, you've been that age. You know, once you get to this age, you know, you've been through it. You've seen everything from, you know, just start with like the Rather Hall, the Delton Williams thing, you know, the, the, the Keith Mumphrey thing, all these things, all these things happen. Right. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how that is with Tucker. I don't think he's going to tolerate anything. I don't think he's going to be like picking up Chris Rucker from jail and like starting him the next week, but that, which right. was criticized. Well, you well, know, I, I think that's, you know, there, there were points even back when Saban was there. I mean, I can remember Ike Reese getting into a situation on campus where he got arrested. And, you know, 1995 is a heck of a lot different than, you know, 2021, yeah. but, and, you know, it's, not a local story a lot of times anymore with these things. So I think that's partly the change in the, in that time, but, but things are going to happen, whatever it is. Right. Um, you know, I, I think D'Antonio outside of, outside of those, I think he handled things well. I really appreciated his humor. I don't think people got his humor enough. It didn't show itself very often. You know, and I think, I, I think that, I do think you have to kind of draw a line from D'Antonio, the football coach and D'Antonio, the person. And I think you got to do that with everybody. Yeah. I think you got to do that with with a lot of people um, in the coaching realm. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that's not who they are, but the winning and the price and 
pressure of it at that level is things that you, you sometimes don't understand. Yeah, very You sure. know, the contract, I mean, how's Tucker going to react with this contract now? You know, I mean, is eight wins going to be acceptable with that? Is it going to be acceptable for him? You know, you know, but I, I think that there's, you know, the, I think it's out on him, but I think he's going to be more like Izzo. And I think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be a little more open and bouncing. Cause I think that's, yeah. that's in, you know, covering Izzo for all these years and having people who've covered him longer than I have, you know, he is, he does enjoy the back and forth. And I think he does enjoy the conversation and sometimes contention because you see it with his players. Right. You know, and I, I think that I think that Tucker has a little more of that. I think D'Antonio is a little sometimes straight laced and and would have preferred to just. Hey, I, <laughs> I think it comes down to this. I think that if Mark D'Antonio wasn't a football coach, he would have been a principal. <laughs> he seems he said principal. that he has said that his has dad he? was a principal. He seems that like, uh, you know where I think that you know if Mel Tucker wasn't co- a football you know million dollar football coach. I don't know. He's got personality. He would have been doing something using that personality. He probably would have been a high you know? school football coach. I don't right. see him as anything other I mean, than a, I the mean, same he's with a, he's a coach. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, they're all cut. I mean, they're all cut to to do what they do. Yeah, no, you yeah. have to be. That job sucks. I it mean, is. It, it's such a hard job, it especially is. Not, you know, for those guys and for their assistants because those assistants have to bear the brunt of that daily. Yeah, that's true. Hourly, that's true. sometimes by the minute. Well, you're going to be bearing the brunt of your your wife yelling at you if I don't get you the hell out. I know she's supposed supposedly awake, but uh, no, her no, she's sleeping. She's oh, sleeping for hours. Okay, so lucky her. So you got a long commute. We appreciate you coming, man, yeah. Chris. It was great to have you. It's been a long pursuit. Uh, I, I feel like I finally I can like you know pop some champagne, <laughs> so celebrate your your arrival. I'm gonna to have to text you off air about getting some of your other uh, holdout colleagues to, to join. <laughs> You're friendly with a few that just won't even respond, let alone uh, show oh, up here. Boy. So I'm going to work on you, and uh, you can be my proxy. But, I'll see uh, what I can do. I appreciate you coming, man. Absolutely, it was great man. To have it was you. a good time. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Justin Thind and David Klein, so it's going to be like the Sparty week around here. Ben Augusta on the other side of the beautiful red wall. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, we love you and uh, Eric Williamson, who is God, definitely asleep at this hour. But uh, <laughs> when, he, when he watches tomorrow, uh, thank you to Eric, our set designer, graphic designer. And again, we'll be back. It's Michigan State Week. Forgive me for my sins of uh, Michigan Hour. It's been a lot of Michigan stuff. So we're back. We're back with our Sparty helmets on uh, for at least one more episode. Thank you again to Chris Solari. Driving like 10 hours to be here. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Bureau Avenue Show, Justin's Bureau. We'll see you soon.